Hello, one and all, and welcome back, I should say, to the Super Show podcast, episode number 165. And the reason it's welcome back, my lovable co-host for today, Mr. Alex Jones, is because after weeks of fighting everything from public holidays to uh, the loss of my COVID virginity, we're finally here, uh, alive if not exactly well, to borrow a um, an idiom from Max Payne 3, um, but we're podcasting again. We're talking about video games. Yes, yes. Nobody be have any fear. Uh, it was a, a a riddled fortnight of illness and holidays and all sorts of bollocks, and um, in no small measure my fault as well. Uh, last week we were going to record early so that we had something to put out, and then I um, completely screwed it up because I was um, sorting out a cheeky little holiday, and then in the week you said, "Hey man, let's let's hook up and let's do something in the week," and I said, "Actually." I'm in Butlins for the entire week. Uh, and so, the, yeah, that was my fault. I completely you know made what? it. A mess these, things happen. these things happen. People get ill. People go to Butlins. Co-hosts have to uh, step aside and podcasts have to be put on ice for a week. I did admittedly try to sort of find a temporary replacement for you. I reached out to um, uh, recently out of work, Philip Schofield. Just told him uh, that I could provide an infinite amount of uh, disposable vapes. Um, never got back to me, neither him nor his representatives. Um, can't wonder why. Oh, I can't hear you for some reason. This is a fun technical quirk. (laughs) I have no idea why. Um, I don't know whether the folks at home can hear either of us, maybe both of us, uh, maybe just me. Um, the, the, it's what these are the the perks of of running a live show um and a, a live show that hasn't been live for uh for many weeks as we just established so there are always inevitably going to be teething problems i'd also like that i've sort of temporarily taken control of the situation by just talking i've got no idea if the folks at home whether live or listening to this on the other end can also hear jonesy so if they can hear both of us they can't hear you. Okay, I'm getting I'm getting sign language through the power of Discord that you can't hear Jonesy, which means you can just hear me, which means uh, all the power in this situation is in my hands. I could say anything about Jonesy, disparaging or libelous or otherwise, um, and there's nothing that he can do. I think I just uh, lip read. Hang on, um, he's oh. he's messing around. Oh, I heard a noise. I'm back. You're back. Welcome back, sir. I'm, I don't know what happened there. I've I've unplugged and replugged in my microphone, and now it seems to be working again. I think maybe it was a a wiring issue, which appears to. You ever feel like like the gods are testing us when you don't do a podcast for a couple of weeks, and you come back to it, and within three minutes, one of the two people on the podcast completely loses <laughs> their mic, and for that moment, I had no idea if people could still hear you or if I was talking over you for some. Pe- oh God. Um. Well. <laughs> I guess that's a super show guarantee and full effect, right? Yeah, I tell you, um, yeah. No, I was freaking out a bit then because I, I I had no idea why it was. Everything said it was working, but I had no levels, so no, it was something something a bit dodgy going on. Um, but no, it appears as though it's working again. So we're back. Apologies. We're back, and you're back. It's good to have you back. Um, and for anyone who perhaps forgot during the interim, because there was an interim. And I'm not just talking about the one then. I'm just talking. I'm talking about the one over the last couple of weeks. This is technically still a podcast about video games, although 
I will offer up an alternative as far as tonight goes, because uh, for the next 90 minutes or so, this could very easily pass uh, as a podcast where you watch in real time to see whether or not a grown man is going to shit himself, because I um, ate an unearthly amount of chicken wings in an even more unearthly amount of time just prior to starting uh, recording, which is, I find, a great exercise in, in, in podcasting discipline. Uh, yeah, that was very brave of you. Um, I too, uh, I, I ate some sausages that were slightly past their sell-by date, so I'm hoping oh. uh, it doesn't all go wrong. Um, you don't like you don't like them pink in the middle, do you? Like Neil from the In Between Us? I don't. And so this is uh, when I do something like this. Is I'm not made of money, Jamie, and food these days is very expensive. So when I'm trying to feed a family of four, uh, if it's a couple of days past the sell-by date, I'm not chucking that in the bin. So um, what do I do instead? I just made sure I baked the shit out of them. Uh, so they were very wow. crispy. Hopefully they were all good. That's how germs and bacteria work, right? You, like, you just put them, they put your oven on the hottest setting and leave your sausages in there for a little bit too long and nothing could possibly survive that. Yeah, it's all good. Exactly right. That's what exactly. you do. You carbonize those germs and then you can eat as many as you want. Just like the cavemen did when they discovered fire. That's exactly what they used fire for in the early days was uh, expired sausages. And hey, I'm not going to jump the gun and start plugging the uh, the Patreon at this stage. All I would like to do is put a little reminder out there that when we do get to the stage of the podcast, when we mention the Patreon and share that link with you, I want that mental image in everyone's head of Jonesy and his entire family having to eat expired sausages. That is what your money is going towards. Just a little bit of food for thought, no pun intended. Um, but why don't I plug some other things while I'm here? Uh, because, of course, this is a podcast when we remember to do it. It's available on YouTube. You can watch it live. Some of you might be watching it live right now. I can't see the chat, but if you're there, hello. It's wonderful to have you with us. Um, and if you're watching it after the fact, again, you can still do so on YouTube in the live section of the channel, and you can do all the things you usually do. You can like the video. You can leave a comment. Maybe if you want to reach out to us on social media instead, you can do so on Twitter, for example. The uh, the handle over there is at SuperShowPod. And last but not least, for those of you who prefer the simplest of podcasting formats, the essence of every podcast, which is audio, you can grab that on Spotify, on iTunes, on Google Podcasts. I must admit this is going to be one that I'm curious to listen uh, back to one once we've finished it and it's all published because... I just I want to know what that panic sounds like in real time. Um, <laughs> panic that I just felt. A hot panic. Yeah, there you go. A hot panic. Um, will you um, will you indulge me for about fifteen seconds while I give a quick shout out to some of the people we've got watching this live yeah. in chat right now on YouTube? Um, I want to give a shout out to Shell Shock, Ice Knock, Rock Salt, Chris Taff, Taff or Taffy. I'm not. I want to say Taffy, but I bet it's Taff. Uh, Rodrigo. Uh, Snifflebox, Peter Wilson, and Kerry Baldino, who are all chatting away in there, um, and anyone else who is, um, you know, just watching us on the slide and it's not in chat. Thank you, everybody, for joining us live and for interacting with us. Um, it's lovely to have you. Indeed, it is. Um, lovely to have a live audience. Like I said, Jonesy, as we re go, return back to the fold of video games, because um, let's be honest. Uh, we missed quite a few things. We missed a few news stories here or there. Nothing major, I'd like to think. And one of the things we, of course, did keep on top of. What are you laughing at? I was because you said nothing major, and immediately made me think of the PlayStation Showcase. And I was like, yeah, wasn't that major? 
No, but here's the thing. I'm going to loop back around. It's yeah. a plug. Yes, we technically missed the PlayStation Showcase in terms of maybe a traditional post-showcase podcast where we wrapped everything up and told you everything that happened. But we didn't need to do that in this case because Jonesy and I did manage a midweek watch-along live of the PlayStation Showcase. So for anyone who missed the showcase, wants to watch it a second time, or just wants to watch it with our additional commentary, that video, or that VOD, I should say, is up on the channel. Um... And so, Jonesy, I thought it would be kind of interesting now that we're back here chatting video games, rather than, you know, reminding everyone of the video games they saw over a week ago at this point, we could pick up on some of the new stories that inevitably emerge in the aftermath of a showcase like this. And one of the more interesting ones, I thought, um, and I think you agreed, uh, revolved around uh, Naughty Dog and the Last of Us multiplayer game they have been working on for some time, uh, and the again, the stories that emerged after it was a no-show at the PlayStation Showcase, because some people th thought this game was a fucking slam dunk for that stream, um, and it was nowhere to be seen. Yes. Um, um, yeah. It, yeah, it was quite unfortunate, because uh, we were sort of excited about it, and then obviously we had the announcement um, from Naughty Dog, uh, the tweet out saying that it was not ready, um, and it had some more work that they planning on doing to it so um it kind of you know that, i think that's fair that's why it wasn't there um if you're like me though you were a little you were sad because the multiplayer from the last of us originally um was a lot of fun and i really enjoyed that multiplayer it's weird though because so some of the stories that i've seen coming off the back of this it's it's a strange one because i'm like okay i get that what they're trying to make is maybe not something that um is going to fly in today's world as much like that multiplayer if they just rehashed it and updated it it wouldn't work now mm -hmm. it wouldn't work today all the things i enjoyed about it are they not things that are going to keep people playing they're not going to things that are going to keep people engaged for months years down the line um yeah so i i suppose i have to put my old man uh i have to put my old man grief away and say no give them time to make a game that is actually viable in today's market I guess so, although you've kind of tapped on what are the interesting points of this story, which is that, again, the key component that PlayStation are looking for, or the key criteria that PlayStation seem to want this game to fill, is something that makes sense in the live service market and something that has legs. Um, it seems... I don't, I don't want to say that they're looking at that regardless of whether or not it would be a fun or interesting or engaging game in its own right. Own right. I'm sure ideally they want the best of both worlds. But it is interesting um, because, like you said, Naughty Dog did get out there themselves on social media. They put out one of the classic, uh, tw you know, the 2020 series, uh, social media apologies. Um, not quite like screenshotting the Notes app, but it's like the video game <laughs> industry equivalent of that now. Um, but what was interesting was that Naughty Dog's tweet preempted a story um, that Jason Schreier published over at Bloomberg, almost as though Jason Schreier kind of reached out to Naughty Dog for comment and made them aware that he was going to publish this article. And they were like, well, shit, we need to put something together to get out ahead of this thing. Um, because inevitably, Jason Schreier's report uh, went a little bit deeper and shone uh, a slightly more curious light on the matter because... You mentioned already that Naughty Dog uh, stated that the Last of Us multiplayer game would require more time and development, and it was easy to kind of look at that as just a way of saying, ah, oh, it got delayed, they'll show it when it's ready. Jason Schreier has kind of blown this whole thing wide open by saying that not only has it been delayed and does it need more time, but also um, the number of people working on the project has been reduced, um, and 
they uh, and they have been moved on to um, to other projects around the studio, and that only a small group remains while Sony continues to reevaluate its direction. Um, that the overall kind of scope and scale of the project may have been cut back slightly, and the piece de resistance, the cherry on top for this uh, groundbreaking article, uh, that it was potentially the uh, direct result of feedback from, of course, now another uh, Sony studio in the form of Bungie, makers of Destiny, and of course that makes them, uh, in Sony's eyes, masters of all things live service and all things multiplayer related. Apparently, uh, uh, Bungie gave some feedback as to the quality and the viability of the Last of Us multiplayer project in the state in which they saw it, and that led to, again, delays, the team being shrunk down, the scope of the project being reduced, and a lot of unhappy Sony fanboys, uh, Jonesy. Um, I thought that was fascinating when I first read it. Oh, it's it's amazing. It's like a bit of something you read and is kind of beautiful to read and to be like, holy shit, that's amazing. But that's like, but I think as well, this confirms that um, I think Sony high up, Sony execs are fans of the Super Show. Because of course, Ooh. we had a conversation way back when, when uh, I believe what you, I think you started it and Chris, I think agreed with you at the time, which is like, Bungie made Destiny. Like, just do what Bungie did because they're the live service guys. How can you get it so wrong in a world where you've got games that have done it so right? People should just use them as their model. And apparently Sony watched the Super Show, took your advice, Jamie, because they said, do you know what? Jamie's absolutely right. Naughty Dog, need we need to get Bungie in here to talk to you and to have a look at your game and to tell you if they think it's viable. And they said... Uh, stick that bun back in the oven because it ain't cooked yet. That was a, I didn't. That's not. A, uh, that's a weird pregnancy reference. Not bun. <laughs> loaf of bread. Whatever you like. I, mean, I think, I think the last of us has some bun-like qualities. Like again, if we were to take the pregnancy kind of comparison to the nth degree, <laughs> you can't really put it back in for more time, more growth, more development. It doesn't. It doesn't really work. It's, it's kind of like toothpaste. Once it's out, it's out. Like you're not really getting that thing back yeah. in. I, I think the mother might have. Um, uh, a few words to say about that if you were to try um but one of the things that i think is interesting here and, and, and i don't mean to immediately take the slightly more contrived and and uh, sort of negative or pessimistic outlook on this but it kind of tapped into what you were saying first time around when we were talking about what naughty dog said to get out ahead of this bloomberg report what if there is a conflict here where there's a what if there's a world in which the Last of Us multiplayer game that existed I don't even know six months ago because it's hard to say the timeline on which any of this took place was really good. Like what if it was really good and really fun and was shaking up to shaping up to be something really unique and really interesting? It's just that most people would have played it for like a month and then had their fill. And Bungie were the people that came in and said this thing's only got the legs for a month, and Sony were like, well, we want the last of us multiplayer game to you know engage users for a year minimum and that's what needed to be reworked and in the process we've lost some really fun interesting or original ideas just because they didn't adhere to sony's seemingly uh, newfound push uh for you know long-legged live service titles that would be a bummer right right absolutely and i think part partly it all has to do with this um desire nowadays to uh, long out games and to say, no, you know what? we're not going to package the multiplayer and the single player together as one game when it comes out. We're going to separate those two things off. And now they have to stand alone on their own two feet. We've seen this time and time again 
Um, and it, it, in some respects, it makes sense. And I think it's something that makes um, players happy when they say, well, that's great. Thankfully, you know, a multiplayer element of a game is going to get the time it deserves because, hey, in an earlier uh, version of the game, um, in an earlier title, it was, you know, maybe underserved than it had and it would have been fantastic if they'd have spent more time on it. But then when you say, no, we're going to make it a standalone title, you do have the problem of saying, no, it can't just be a flash in the pan, couple of months, people into it. These days, it's like, well, if you're going to do that, if you're going to spend our money making a multiplayer, we want people to play it for years. We want people to stream it. We want people to do this. And I think you're absolutely right. Like You can have some absolute gold um, that would have been a really nice addition to something which is now having to do stand out there on its own and it's having to keep an audience entertained and it's i don't know i don't think multiplayer when you know as a part of a single player game should have to do that personally i like it when you get something different because they're not worried yeah. about that it's an add-on it's an extra um it's, it's, it's a real it's a, it's a real shame like i said i really enjoyed the multiplayer from last of us um part one i thought it was a it was it was different, like having to be silent and sneaky and not just run around and hair around and grab all sorts of weapons. I had some really enjoyable moments in that game. But even now, if you, I could see why that doesn't work as a long standing thing, because it's not about streamers shouting at their cameras and getting all irate and like running around like lunatics and doing 360 no scopes out of windows. It's the total opposite yeah. of that. And if Bungie, the you know the masters of live service games, where you're talking about like high octane shooting and and fantastic visuals and sort of all things going crazy, I can imagine that when they sat down with it, if it was like the like the original multiplayer, and they sat down and it's this quiet, methodical sneaking, like don't run, sneak everywhere in crouch mode and and carefully make traps and leave them around. I bet they were bored out of their minds like in the yeah. first ten minutes. Yeah. But that's fine. Like it- it, 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 like you're right, absolutely right to mention like the tonal elements because yeah, like one of the things that people I'm are shut really... my window, keep talking, I'm listening. Okay, <laughs> I was going to say one of the things that people are really keen to kind of uh, keep a hold of, and we've seen this a lot when it comes to say first person shooters that are set during certain wars, is if the gameplay is grounded or if the tone or the feel of the game is grounded, then they want to make sure that any content that comes to the game, even after the fact, kind of matches it and so they don't want cosmetics to go crazy and so like you've got to imagine you think about like the dark grim dungy post-apocalyptic world of the last of us and how you know again like sort of gruesome and visceral some of that multiplayer action could be in the first one Bungie were probably looking at that and saying you can't make a game like this and sell cosmetics because the only realistic or grounded cosmetics that kind of make sense within the u- within the universe are kind of like various takes on tattered clothing and and like muddy garbs and stuff like that like you can't have maybe you can have a version of a last of us multiplayer game where there's a fucking pink unicorn helmet or something like that but that just sounds like an open invitation one to piss off the internet and two to like open them up to the kind of um criticism that I know, like, Battlefield games have seen over the years. GTA Five has seen at times where that went from being, you know, a kind of like a... Like, don't get me wrong, GTA, Grand Theft Auto games aren't always the most grounded, but they are at least sort of like a gangster or mob tale set in urban areas that now when you go online, it, it's jetpacks and loop-de-loops and, and, and all kinds of crazy shit. GTA is also another interesting touchstone because is GTA an example of a studio that stumbled upon a formula for printing money via a live service multiplayer game and then got distracted from their single player pursuits 
because of course um rockstar for example have only made one uh title since the release of gta 5 or almost 10 years ago at this point um like that would be a pretty negative outcome as far to lose naughty dog to 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 a a similar problem assuming that is something that can happen to a studio would be a disaster i think i don't know if that's exaggeration but no i i I agree with you and but then this is the weird thing like not all developers have to be everything to everyone like you can have the big flashy showy multiplayer um shooter games and you just because you're you have a you you know you're able to make a great single player campaign doesn't mean you also have to be able to make the great multiplayer shooter like flashy shooter you can just say no that's not what we're about and it, and still like this is the weird thing for me like the multiplayer should have just been a rehash of the um the uh assets that they already had um you know the game world areas they already had and it really i think it should just be a little love letter to the fans and say thank you for playing our game we've used all these assets enjoy it does it have to be like you've said, does it have to be the next thing to print money like Rockstar made? Yeah, I, 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 I don't think Sony are in the business of little thank you notes to, to gamers anymore. I, I yeah. don't think they're entirely out of, and I think some of this is backed up by their recent financial reporting. They're clearly not totally out of the single player AAA narrative driven experiences because I think when you look at the last, you know, let's say the last sort of five years or so, when you look at The Last of Us Part Two and and God of War and God of War Ragnarok and Ghost of Tsushima and so on and so forth, even Days Gone, which was you know the uh, worst performing of all those titles, critically speaking, they've made a lot of money. They've made significant amounts of money and they've achieved high sales numbers. But I think a, lo- a lot of studios and and Sony and PlayStation are clearly one of them now are starting to look at this idea of saying, okay, it's great that we can make a a game like Days Gone, and it will make perhaps even more money than we anticipated. But those games are taking longer and longer to make. They're costing more and more to make. And you get this big influx of cash, and then all of a sudden everything stops. And you need to go back to square one. And you need to start spending money again to hope that the next hit delivers that. And I can totally see why the idea of something that is just a constant source of income that just ticks away at the background. It's like a clicker game, right? Like, (laughs) we all like the start of a clicker game, and doing the clicking ourselves and seeing that number of cookies or whatever game you're playing go up one by one. But the second you get like an equivalent of something that clicks for you, an auto-click or something that you you start to go, oh shit, it turns out not having to click is pretty great. Um, <laughs> and there's a part of me that thinks that Sony have smelt, smelt the sweet, sweet perfume of the, of, you know, live service dollar bills. What's, I can't remember the name of it. There's a, there's a thing in, uh, there's like a, in economics, there's a something whereby, like, uh, is it capitalism, like, and and building stuff in general? I can't, I can't fucking remember what book it was, economics book I was reading. Where effectively <laughs> you get this, you get this, um, the stuff that you produce in producing other stuff can actually go on to make money in its own right and to be something really good. It's like the, uh, it's like the 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 parts that you never intended to make to do well. It's like the idea of when NASA, uh, when NASA made. Mo- rockets to go to the moon and then they needed like a pen to write in space so they made like the biro or something you know or something like that and you oh, right. technology which was never the, the the end point but ended up being something really cool that just becomes a thing on its own in its own right um and i think 
one of the things I like about games in general is there is so much of that. There is so much like, oh, we're going to make this type of game. But in making it, we've ended up making some other stuff, which we don't know if anyone will, will dig or whether anyone will be into. But here you go. You can, have a, you can have a play around with that. And the beauty of video games is when that happens and you find something really special. And I think that's where you end up getting all the game modes from. Like, you know, go back to the days of like... Um, uh, four players split screen goldeneye and people realize how much fun those things can be and then you know they only probably included it in the game as like a little oh we've decided we're going to add in multiplayer it's ne- it was never the aim of the game originally mm-hmm. um and i think when you monetize everything and you say no everything now has to follow this it makes me sad i like when i like the idea that no developers should be including things just for the love of whatever just for fun just to include stuff and all of this whole thing kind of makes me sad because I think Naughty Dog, rather than just do something because they're cool at doing stuff and they're good at making games, are now being told that they're shit at making multiplayer games. And they've had a team. This is what gets me. They've stripped back the team. So the Bungie have said the game's not ready. It needs to be reevaluated. They haven't yeah. then doubled the number of people working on this. They've like half the number of people and they've pushed a whole bunch of them onto the new IP that they're currently working on. And we all know that's the death knell of a game or of a mode or of something when they reduce the people working on it because you're basically saying we're not going to fix it we're not going to change it we're just going to get the bare bones skeleton crew who can just polish what is already already there to get it um ready for shelves and that's all we're going to do yeah. we're not going to make it uh what we always wanted to which is yeah which is i think that sounds bad through and through because what you're going to end up with is a half-baked multiplayer probably like you said something that was great has now had all the good elements stripped out of it to try and make it monetizable in different ways but it's not going to be very good and everyone's going to say naughty dog are a rubbish developer and i'm and i'm i'm there for it to say it's not their fault i bet i, I bet mean it would have been yeah. better if they've been power where they wanted whenever they wanted to put it out ages ago that w- you're right. That would be you know arguably the worst case scenario for all of this. And either, you make a good point that it's difficult to know exactly what we're dealing with while we are in this phase of uh, supposed reevaluation. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the point that you make about the shrinking of the team is is pretty salient. Like, yes, don't get me wrong. You don't want three hundred people sitting around twiddling their thumbs while you're reevaluating your project. But at the same time, like moving people on and off of teams and in and out of different projects, uh, the impression I've always got, at least, isn't particularly easy. And so, if you know, a hundred people or two hundred people left this project and went and started working on. Let's say let's say there's a Last of Us Part Three in development. I don't know for sure. Some people think there is. Um, and then what? Like you're going to send another company wide email in two weeks' time saying we've finished reevaluation. Can you all come back, please? It's like no. Like I'm I'm halfway through this you know, this this piece of like this animation that I was working on for for when Ellie falls off a lorry and takes you know 23 seconds to stand up because <laughs> we've got the longest, most elaborate, most detailed animation system in the world. Um, yeah, like, and so it 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 doesn't bode well, um, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, not just what happens to this project and what happens to Naughty Dog, but yeah, where else this pressure is felt, if there even is a pressure. Like one of the things I was going to mention is you know that th- if we look at the showcase again, it does seem like Sony are at least somewhat willing to invest in new studios whether, you know, our new acquisitions and using them as an outlet for some of the live service games. Obviously, 
we uh, Bungie announced Marathon at the showcase, which is a, it's a cross-platform game. Don't get me wrong; it's not PlayStation Studios, but Bungie were an acquisition. Haven Studios, who of course were another recent acquisition, they announced a live-service game in the form of Fair Games, where the the S at the end of it is a very confusing dollar sign. Thank you, Haven. I'm going to look forward to saying that title for the next couple of years. And then, of course, towards the end of that showcase, Firewalk Studios, who were another fairly recent acquisition, announced uh, Concord, which is that sci-fi PvP multiplayer FPS, which, again, we don't know much about, but that hope that gives me some hope, at least, that if teams like Firewalk and Haven are the ones coming in to make live service games and that the live service elements at work at Naughty Dog are, 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 are being taken care of by smaller teams, that there is still a world in which Sucker Punch are just making another Ghost of Tsushima game, and that's it's as simple as that. And when, when Insomniac are done with Spider-Man 2, they're going to move on to Wolverine, and they're maybe going to have another Ratchet and Clank in the world. And, like, and you know, th- these kind of teams are just going to be allowed to do what they've done so well um, when given the time and the space and the opportunity to do so. Because, like, I know we don't want to dwell on the PlayStation Showcase for too long, but one of the interesting thought experiments that I indulged in um, last week after the Showcase, inspired um, by our friend Chris, um, who who jokingly put in one of our group chats, bring back Sean Layden, um, I, I went back and started watching sort of E3s from the from the Sean Layden era of, of PlayStation. And of course, as I said in the group chat to you and Chris, it was a different time. Games took different uh, lengths of time to develop. Uh, game, you know, game development wasn't as lengthy or as costly. Um, but if you go to E3 2016, which was in the third year of the life cycle of the PlayStation 4, which is technically uh, like for like in terms of where we are now in the life cycle of the PlayStation 5, um, they announced God of War, they announced um, Horizon, they announced Spider-Man, they announced Death Stranding, they announced uh, Days Gone, like, uh, they announced, uh, they, I didn't, it actually wasn't announced, but they, like, properly showed off Detroit, um, that, like, The Last Guardian was there, um, Resident Evil 7 is, uh, gone there again, that's third party, but that got announced, at, and it's like... It's That's interesting going man, back they, to when that. When you say that, though, as well, those are all like new IPs. Even God of War, I, I'd say, although it's not a new IP, it felt like a new IP because it was like a new, oh. a new imagining. That's so good. And now we're now every game we talk about, even when we're talking about those, is like another game of this, another game of that, and it's like, come on. Which I don't mind so much. Like, if the next chapter of the PlayStation Five was a lot of sequels, I'd be okay with that. Like, sequels are a uh, are a reliable form of generating income and when i play games like god of war ragnarok or look at games like spider-man 2 there's no part of me like i don't i don't feel the same way about video game sequels as you know the reputation of say movie sequels got to at a certain point where like you know movie studios continuing to invest in uh franchises and sequels and turning them into cinematic universes became frowned upon at a point I i still think we're at a point where again to use an earlier example if you go out there tomorrow and announced last of us part three or ghost of tsushima 2 there are very few groans coming from that crowd you know there's generally yeah. speaking excitement but you're right there was innovation there was new ip and those were uh, a good handful of the games that went on to define that generation and i just find it interesting that we are in the fir- third year of the playstation 5 generations last nowadays seven years or so um and 
we are not yet at the point of talking about the generation defining games. Um, we're going to hit a point in, a, yeah. in about 20 years, we're going to hit a point where um, it's just through like what phase games are in and what phase consoles are in, like the PlayStation 9 is going to come out and there are going to be no games released <laughs> of first party games because it's just going to fall right in the wrong slot where games now take 15 years to make and the PlayStation 9 will have no first party games on it and then the PlayStation 10 will come out and then all the games will come out. It's just like it's that's how it feels it's getting like it's getting a bit I mean too much. You're not you're not wrong like you're not wrong. Uh, but it, it it's kind of depressing that for a long time studios like Rockstar who we mentioned earlier were kind of like they were the joke that you could make about a team that stopped making games because it felt like they were the exception to the rule and it increasingly feels like they are no longer the exception to the exception to the rule and even teams that are actively making games again like like naughty dog aren't necessarily going slowly but it's crazy to think back to the ps3 era of naughty dog or the ps2 era of naughty dog and be like oh yeah we can do it get an entire trilogy of game we can get an entire trilogy of games and the first title in the next trilogy of games out in the form of uncharted one two three and the last of us in the space of one generation like we can do all that in seven years no problem um and now it's like oh can we have seven years for one game please and then Sony are like, yes, but you need to make it a live service game because fuck me, if you're releasing a game every seven years then instead of a game every year, we need to squeeze every penny. And then now it which brings us full circle too. But then, but then, yeah. then look at Insomniac. Insomniac are the people who are like, no, you can still do that. You can still make so many games that people say, how oh, do you do this? I've, I've, got, I've got a theory um, that, uh, that Insomniac isn't just the name of that studio. It's a prerequisite for getting a job there. Uh, <laughs> so you actually have to be uh, incapable of sleeping and actually work two shifts. You do two eight-hour shifts per 24 hours um, right. on different games, which allows every single employee of that studio to work on two games at once. Um, and that's because that's the only way it's feasible, right? That makes more sense now you've said that. Yeah, I do. I totally get that. Yeah, I think you must be right. But, if Wolver if Wolverine comes out next year, they would have released uh, sp like uh, Spider Man Mars Morales, Spider Man Remastered, technically Ratchet and Clank, Spider Man Two, and Wolverine in the space of it would be like four like they'd be yeah, running running at a cadence of very near a game a year, and it's it's freaky. Um, yeah. So and at that quality. But that's the thing. I, that's it's, the thing. Yeah. It's not even at reduced quality. It's not even like double A games. It's not even like you know worse. It's it's oh yeah. It is uh, it's very top of the pile, like creme de la creme of games, and it does make you think how how are they able to do that when other people just are not just incapable but it's I, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about game development to say what the hell it is. I think you're right. I you must be right. In I think we've cracked the cracked the code. Um, there you go. Hey, and speaking of the uh, the creme de la creme, uh, the top of the food chain, you are of course listening to. A, uh, a podcast that is indeed the cream of the cream, um, which is a, a kind of a, a sentence that sounds significantly less appealing when translated into English. I apologize for that. Um, but hey, we're here. We're doing our best. Um, and you can continue to support us to help us uh, do our best as we progress into this exciting, uh, if slightly uh, scary future for video games that we've just outlined for you by heading over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash super show um, and helping us out. Um, you know, I'm not here to tell you 
the kind of donation you need to make. You need to decide uh, amongst yourselves what you feel comfortable with. You might feel comfortable with no money whatsoever because you'll hate watching us right now, in which case, again, it's still welcome. Thank you for the view. I hope you enjoyed your stay. But if you do want to support us, there are all kinds of tiers. They start at $2. There's a $5 tier. There's a $10 tier. Different rewards, rewards at different stages. Access to a Discord, for example. Um, but, you know, Patreon-exclusive videos. Um all kinds of goodies. Um, so head over, like I said, to patreon.com forward slash super show if you want to check out those various tiers. And I'll, I'll bring it up again because it is, I think, the best claim we've got, the, the easiest way to encourage people to head over there. If you want Jonesy's family to stop eating expired sausages, uh, patreon.com forward slash super show is the place to be. Fortunately, some people have already been so kind as to head over there and to help us out and uh, to uh, to support us in this video gaming venture. The names of some of the fine folk who have done so are hopefully on screen right now. I'm kind of reading Jonesy's. For anyone that's wondering, I do the talking on when I host and Jonesy does the OBS. So we kind of have to have a telepathic communication. So when I say that I'm going to give some actual shout outs to certain people that have pledged over on patreon.com forward slash super show. Um, not only are their names on screen, but I get to say them out loud. Uh, that includes people like Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Cole K, Ice Not Rock Salt, Jesper Camdal Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Pastors Guild, and then finally, we have the big dogs, the head honchos, the directors of the... Com I, I'm not going to try and think of a new nickname. Shoutouts to Brett Z, a.k.a. Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Bookread, Manuel Guerrero, and Peaswad. Wow. What a lovely, beautiful, gorgeous group of people. Whether their names were read out, whether their names were visible on screen, I want to thank each and every one of you so much. Um, and I'm looking forward to the sausages. Yeah, the, the non-pass-their-sell-by-date sausages. Com maybe yeah. even Cumberlands. Oh, or maybe like a cheeky, like a pork and apple. Like, you know, like you could go to Marks and Spencer's and get some, like, Proper like prime cuts. I, I'm yeah. I don't give you too many ideas. But... I would I would love to do, go and do that and get some like yeah pork and apple or so maybe some wild boar sausages. Some go a bit weird with it. Uh, none of my mm. family would eat them though. Oh, that's a, yeah. Well, that is a shame. But what if you like smothered it in ketchup or something? No, nah, they they uh, some my oldest kid won't eat anything with sauce on anyway. So you can't you can't even hide it with the old ketchup. Oh wow, he's a sauceless sauceless fiend um and they just like bog standard pork sausages nothing else in them or they get all all aggy Jeez. you know i thought i was boring but even i'll push the boat out when it comes to sausages i was about to make just say like anything in the shape of a sausage i will put in my mouth but i i want to retract <laughs> that statement <laughs> uh i do have some limits um and then of course you've got the world's coolest like barbecue you could technically smoke sausages couldn't you oh yeah i could i haven't tried that maybe i'll maybe i'll smoke some sausages yeah do you know what's funny is you, you, there's like you're saying about putting anything in your mouth you, do you ever have a thing when you're a kid you don't get it and then when you're an adult you realize you'll go back in your mind you're like oh no i'll tell you one thing i did as a kid was um i had a savaloy and it had mm. like it had the salt and vinegar on it super tasty anyone who doesn't has never had a savaloy maybe if you don't live in the uk go find a fish and chip shop somewhere and just get a savoy just to try it it's a weird thing but it's but it's very good um and i like i think i licked the salt off the savoy and i was with my dad and i was probably about nine or ten and my dad went 
And I think I did it like a couple of times. My dad went, oh, no. My dad went, don't do that. <laughs> and I said, why not? And he went, just, just don't do it. And I went, oh, all right. Didn't get it. And then yeah. when, I was an, when I was an adult, I suddenly was like, oh, yeah, because that's weird. So, yeah, that, okay, I, I, that makes sense. I can see why a father would, um, would share some concern at that. Uh, yeah, again, not because not you, concerned. You, it's just like it's a bit. You're not, yeah, you're not doing anything thing. wrong, but it. And you, I presume this is in public, right? Yes, and I'm. I'm sure if I'd got a cream bun and started like lapping at it, he would have said exactly the same thing. It wasn't. It wasn't that it was the Savaloy. I think it was just what it was. But he was like, "Don't do that." Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think that's fair enough. Um, Savaloy's for eating, not for licking, as it turns. Actually, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell people to out of out of fun. Lick all the Savaloys you want. That's that's my key takeaway. Don't lick the Savaloy. Um, Go to the chippy, buy the Savaloy. Don't lick it. Just take a big old bite. It's great. Sex tips from Jonesy. This that's, is what everyone came along for. But make sure it's. I had a. I got one once and it was cut like it was cold. The chippy had obviously not. They'd not left it under the heater and it had gotten a bit tepid. A, a tepid Savaloy is gross. And it's got yes, I agree. I agree. I agree. I think that, yeah, um, I, I used to have that problem when I was younger, where anything that my brain, and I guess my mouth, or my brain and my mouth in unison, felt should be hot, um, but were not, I would uh, like start to feel ill. Um, but the weird thing was, um, it, like that, it was something that happened even with food products that are regularly sort of like cooked and then refrigerated. And one such thing is chicken. Now, don't get me wrong, chicken has to be cooked. So chicken is, at one point or another, in that process, it's hot. And most people prefer to eat chicken hot. But, like, cooked and then refrigerated chicken is, like, a normal thing. Like, you can go to uh, any UK supermarket and buy, whether it's slices of cooked chicken breast or whether it's, you know, various, like, legs and drumsticks. and Like, you, you can buy cooked chicken that's cold. But I used to have a thing where putting cold chicken in my mouth would, like, make me retch. Because I'm like, this should be hot. Um, oh, yeah, I get, I, I get what you mean, yeah. Yeah, I grew out of it. Fortunately, you can even you can kind of trick your brain into into that with some foods that you don't, you don't mind at all. If you if you can make if you make someone think they're going to eat one thing and then it's something else, even if there were two things that you'd eat, you'd happily eat normally. The fact that your brain is telling you that it should be different, it can't, it's probably for like a reaction because if you tried to eat something like, for example, let's say you were trying to take a bite of an apple and then rather than being like firm and crunchy, it was like super goopy and squishy. Your brain would probably be going, damn, this is a rotten apple. Don't eat it. Like spit yeah. it out. So it's just that switching in your brain. Did you ever try the green tomato ketchup that they did a few years, like a number of years? I, I did. I did. I couldn't. It's it tasted the same, but it was off-putting. It was like, I can't eat green tomato ketchup. Yeah. Well, it's strange. there's a whole, like, have you seen, um, I mean, you might have seen adverts for them because I feel like they do a lot of YouTube um, advertising, but Air Up, which is a water bottle that has a kind of nozzle at the top that you put scents in, and so you're smelling different oh, yeah. things while you're drinking regular water, and it tricks the brain into thinking it's drinking flavoured water when it's not. Oh, okay. Um, so it's, there's actually no flavor. There's no flavor. You fill it up with just pure water and you put these little pods in at the top and it's got a nozzle that essentially means that when you're taking a sip, this nozzle is pointed right up your nose and it smells of, you know, cola or blackcurrant or, you know, orange. Oh. And it supposedly, like, it kind of helps trick your brain into thinking it's drinking flavored water when, of course, it, it's not. Uh, again, I haven't tested it, but that company has not gone out of business. So. 
Um, I'd like clearly, to, there's some curiosity there. Yeah, I'd be interested in trying that. It's uh, in in the chat. Ice not rocks. I said um, it's like hot milk. Um, you don't get behind, can't get behind it. See, I like hot milk, but I do not like, and this is something that my wife has broken my children. She microwaves their cereal when it's got milk on it. Oh, to make it warm. And there is nothing more disgusting than like <laughs> like warm cocoa pops. And yeah, I don't know if I like that. Some cereal makes sense to me, like Weetabix shredded wheat with hot milk. But I would never microwave them. I'd pour, I'd heat the milk up mm. and then pour it on them. That kind of says to me, oh, winter's day. You're, you're warming yourself up before heading out to shovel the snow. But microwaving cereal is disgusting. <laughs> I can I have to do it. Like my 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 little kid, my four year old, would be like, Daddy, can you microwave my Weetos? And I'm just like, Bleh. all right, and I'll do it. Yeah. But I'm not happy about it, and the smell is gross. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, for, like I like, I'd almost prefer ice cold milk. Like, I actually want the milk in my cereal to be as cold as possible. Yes, if anything. Um, weird. Okay, are you a uh, talking about cold things? Are, where do you like to keep your chocolate? Would you are you going to keep oh. it covered? Are you keeping it in the fridge, or are you keeping it in the best place? <laughs> Hang on, where's the best place? Your mouth? No. And I might lose a lot of people with this. Chocolate kept in the freezer is amazing. Oh, so crunchy oh. and rock. I hate smushy chocolate. I like it rock hard See, and crunchy. I wouldn't go freezer just because I feel like I get a sufficiently crunchy chocolate experience from the fridge. Um, what, but what I do with a chocolate bar, it's just, like it would all depend on it's my own how business. much. Well, no, it's like it's how how much chocolate have I just purchased. And on what time scale am I looking to consume this? If I've purchased one chocolate bar and I'm going to consume it in the next six hours, I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm just going to keep it near or on my person and just eat it when I want to. Right. If I've got, if I've somehow like my mum bought me an Easter egg, which happened this year, and I'm like, well, this is a large quantity of chocolate. Then, then fr I feel like fridge I like because on some level it feels more hygienic or like like just yeah. more sanitary. I don't know if it actually is. But also, yeah, like if I had to choose between smushy chocolate or snappy chocolate, I'd choose snappy. Oh, it's, it's funny you say Easter eggs. Easter eggs are particularly good in the freezer because they are thin and crunchy. And then I d this, is, this, is, this is the one for me. You get something like an Easter egg, right? You put it in the freezer. It's rock hard. It's crunchy. And you then get an ice cold glass of milk. And you eat, those, and you dr eat the chocolate while you drink the milk. And it is a mouth experience. Interesting. Yeah, interesting that you've paired up two extremely cold things there. Like some people like to, I don't know, pair hot and cold, or like, or di I don't know. Oh, okay, I've got one for you that you can try. My wife okay. microwaves minstrels, uh, the chocolate, okay. the little chocolate minstrels. Yeah, yeah, because I they know, have the not for very long, like ten seconds, but because they have like a hard, crispy shell, the chocolate mm. inside them melts, and the, but they stay crunchy, and that is the that only goopy chocolate that she's made me try that I've actually been like, oh, okay, that's actually quite decent. I can get, I can get behind that. I'll give her that um, one. But yeah, goopy yeah, no, chocolate normally. That makes sense. That, that's just a fun. That's just science. If anything, that's just being smart. That's using the 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 form factor of the of the minstrel to your advantage. Plus, minstrel's a galaxy chocolate, right? Which is it's it's very I lush so, yeah. and luscious and velvety. Anyway, <laughs> we've Jonesy, digressed. Look, look, I know you. I know you had a lot. We've had a lot of time on our hands over the last couple of weeks. Um, but between melting minstrels and licking savaloys <laughs> and freezing easter eggs have you uh played or, or watched anything of any note um in in, in recent memory 
Um, I have. So I don't think I've yet uh, talked about it, but it's been a couple of weeks, since, or uh, probably been about seven or eight days since I've played it, so I won't delve too deep in. Um, T- Tears of the Kingdom. Yes. Um, I have been playing. Um, safe to say, uh, thoroughly enjoying it. I'm actually, I actually think the... Um, the weird ass abilities that they give you in that game, which I thought were going to be something that would make me maybe fall off quicker because they were like these, they felt like weird dev abilities that they kept in a game by accident. I actually think the, the ability to like jump through the surface above you is something that devs had in the game as a mechanic in order to like, I believe you're right. Yeah. Look around and and they kept it and they said, Hey, can we keep this in the game? This is wicked, which is super strange, but actually, when you put all the abilities in that game together, you get something really fun, really special, and I think people are doing some crazy stuff with it, which is wicked. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I'm early days in that, so I won't I won't um, bug people too much by talking about that. I'm I've watched uh, two things that I would like to give a shout out to. One good, one not so good. Uh, mm. The good one, I'm going to give a shout out to um, uh, Silo, the Apple TV show which is based on a series of books called Wool, which I read uh, these books years ago. Like, I'm, I'm not a big reader, but I did read these books maybe like 12, 13 years ago, something like that. Mm. Or I read the first two, I think. Um, and I, I love it when you have read something that you really enjoyed, and then without even knowing that it had been adapted, you stumble upon it and you see some, and you kind of see the, like, I think I saw the trailer and I saw some of the images um, and just some sort of still images from this TV show on, on Apple TV. And and without even watching the show, I was like, holy shit, I think this is, I think this is wool. Like it's, it's, it's how I imagined it in my own head. Like that is, but it, maybe it's not like, and I wasn't quite sure. Oh, that's pretty cool. And I've we've been, I've been watching it and it is like, it is the, it's based on the book series. It's very good. Really enjoying it. Um, I think it's about six episodes out so far. It's one where they're coming out one each week. Um, yeah, I'd uh, recommend that. It's one of those where I don't know where it's going to go because it's not. I haven't binged it enough to like know where I'm at. So it, I'm interested to see how it pans out. Um, it's a little bit. This is going to sound like I'm giving, now slagging it off, but it's. But I'm not. It's good. It's a little bit like Snowpiercer. Oh, okay. In that you kind of have uh, Snowpiercer. You had the train with the poor people and the rich people, and you know you made your way through. It's not quite the same. It's like a silo where all these people live and they don't know why they're there. They've been there for hundreds of years. They they can't go outside because they're worried they'll die. And you've got like the people in the bottom of the silo who are um may, the, the like the workers, the manual workers, the people keeping the place running, and the people higher up are kind of like the wealthy people that are sort of a bit more um highfalutin and think they're special. And it's you know a bit of the tension between those two two camps in the book. And I want to see where this is going to go, but it's very cool. Um, the thing I saw which is not so good. It's not bad. I enjoyed it. To, I enjoyed it, but then at the same time, I was a bit like, I don't know if this is shit or not. Uh, it was Quantumania, um, Ant Man and the oh, Wasp. Oh, Ant Man and the Wasp. Yeah. I yes, I, I heard uh, largely mixed things about that movie. That is fair, mixed. So it's it's a fun Marvel film in a lot of respects. Um, it's a bullshit story that once again they've got to try and get away from the fact that there's all these superheroes around how do you separate away from why doesn't Thor just come and help? Or why doesn't Captain Marvel, who's apparently omnipotent and omniscient, just save the day every time? And it's like, you've got to give her an excuse why she can't be there. And you've got to give an excuse why Cap can't be there to save the day. And so they're like, we'll shrink you down to tiny. Um, um, 
but there's some fun like uh it's got that paul rudd humor in a lot of it which is cool um yeah. the visuals are very good what doesn't make any sense and this is i'm not going to get as into it as like when i slagged off snowpiercer i'm not going to go that far okay the whole point about this is it's like quantum right Okay, so you're, they get shrunk down into the quantum realm. This is what they're saying. So if you imagine, yeah. right, Jamie, if you, if you were here okay. and I was here and we got shrunk yep. down into the quantum realm and we were the size of like, we were a plank length long. We're tiny, we're, you know, unknowingly small. We'd be hundreds of miles apart from each other is what you Yeah, yeah, billions upon billions of miles apart. Somehow, yeah. this whole quantumania thing, no matter where they get shrunk down to, they always end up in the same place. Makes no right. sense to and, me. And like, if you draw a circle around where all of these characters were standing, it would be like a the zero point zero 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 one of a millimeter squared. Exactly. Yeah. Unless, unless, the, unless, we're, okay. yeah. unless we're supposed to think that no, they were beamed specifically into this one tiny, tiny area. I mean, <laughs> but that makes no sense because the mum, uh, who's played by, oh, what was her name? Michelle Pfeiffer? Yes, Michelle Pfeiffer, thank you. Like, where where was she when she was in this tiny world, tiny realm that they've managed to beam her back and now this tiny... It, it doesn't make any sense. It's, See, it's, it's, it's I, I would go so far as to Jones, say, Jonesy, is you probably could have stopped that sentence um, at the word think, in that I don't think you are supposed to. I think there is a sort of like a an accepted notion going into these movies that, oh, I'm watching a comic book adaptation Um Primarily centered around a character called Ant Man who uses a suit to shrink himself down to, you know, quantum quantum level. Modok oh. in that film, Jonesy. You're not meant to think about the how far away they're meant Modoc to be. Modok is amazing. Like when when he's revealed, I was just I was loving it. I was like, what have they done? This is absolutely. I've seen screenshots and poor. The other the other th- other thing doesn't make any sense. They had the whole thing where Ant Man when he gets really big. Yeah, he uses he's like uses loads of energy, and when he shrinks back down, he's like, "I'm super hungry because I was big." And you're like, "Okay, I get that. Right, like, okay, you are bigger. You need more energy. That's why you're really hungry. When you're little, therefore, that the opposite should be true, right? That you should never need to eat. You should always have bags of energy because you're so tiny, and you still yeah. get the same number of some energy uh, in your mass. You I might even get ill. Energy. You could be over-energized. So when they're quantum, they grow big." relative to when they were shrunk to quantum and then they try and play the same trick where they're like now i'm big in the quantum realm i'm i'm using loads of energy and i'm really hungry but like no you're still a tiny 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 fraction of your real size come on they established the quantum realm though at like if i were to lean in on the world realm as a a, as a separate and distinct kind of place where the same rules maybe don't apply as they do on earth so i think that's the problem oh don't yeah the the quantum realm is bullshit as well like whatever they they like oh we're quantum and now but there's no there's no weirdness to the quantum thing there's gravity and there's all that sort of stuff i wanted them to be weirder with it i think the um doctor strange and the uh um thingy of madness made more sense to have it kind um, of multiverse multiverse of madness like quantum should be more like that it should be all crazy and, and laws shouldn't make sense they should have got what's his name to direct it the uh, uh matey you did um sam uh, raimi no uh oh shit the one who did the sleepy one where you fall asleep and then you're in different worlds. Christopher Nolan. Yes, Nolan. Did Nolan he describe Inception as a, a as a, is the sleepy one, where you fall asleep and you're in different worlds, aka dreams, uh, Jonesy? <laughs> Thank I think you. Is the, 
Oh, to use the common nomenclature. Like, yeah, they, they missed that massive trick of like the quantum world stuff should have been much more exciting. Like they, they could have done some crazy stuff with quantum and they didn't. Right. It sounds like that film's got a lot of, um, or, or has at least kind of seen Marvel sort of stumble into a few different issues because of course that was also the film that gave uh, Jonathan Majors his biggest platform thus far in the role of Kang the Conqueror only for him um allegedly in his private life to go and do some pretty again if you believe the reports i haven't actually followed up on the latest but he's been accused of doing some pretty fucked up things uh that may well um bring uh, a premature end to his career and considering one of the upcoming avengers films is named after him that could present the mcu with a problem although conversely apparently that third guardians film was uh, pretty good that was because that's hilarious. Because I was going to say, yeah, they set that up for him to be a big part of the world going forward. So yeah, I, I, I should probably, I, I should probably double check the latest. Um, I need to watch Guardians. Guardians three. I've watched Guardians one and two this weekend, hoping that I'd get to see Guardians three, and I just didn't have time, uh, unfortunately. I'm so, well because the other thing you've got to contend with now is, of course. Uh, uh, moving away from the MCU and back over to the Sony side of things, uh, the new Spider-Verse is out now. Yes. Or at least it is in the States. And um, it, it, I mean, I, I, I stay in the obvious because I've been keeping up with the trailers, but it just looks stunning. Um, and I, I thought the first one was one of the best sort of comic book movies, for want of a better way of putting it, that I'd ever seen. So, No, I, I agree. I loved it. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the sequel. Um, but yeah, no, that's me done. That's me done. I'll stop boring people with my uh nothing boring about TV it and movie we, watching people people legitimately tune in to hear your he you scrutinize the tiniest and most insignificant details of the latest um they you know, are Marvel. they are insignificant and tiny but i get caught but, that, but that's what makes the fact that you get caught up on them so fascinating <laughs> it's it's funny that you mentioned the snowpiercer a couple of times because that like our snowpiercer conversation was iconic for that reason <laughs> I even saw in chat someone saying about polar bears known for actively hunting humans, which just like yeah, yeah, it's it's stuck in people's memory. Like that's what that's what people pay the big bucks for, Jonesy. Hey, look, we've already mentioned Philip Schofield earlier in this podcast, and Sky Piercer apparently, whoever wrote that was or directed that movie was totally down the line with Philip Schofield. They're like, yeah, kids viable, go for it. Can I say? Oh, I see. I see. Okay. So I let me just hold on. Though. I will say, nuts. Philip Schofield didn't do anything with kids. Everyone was adults. I'm, I'm just being. Uh, I'm just, I'm well, he might. He might have groomed a kid. He said allegedly he didn't. He, allegedly he didn't. Okay, he met a child. Uh, he met a child who he later fucked. We've all met children, Jamie. Just we don't all then go on to fuck them. Yes, and we and we don't we don't also don't we also don't let, give them internships at the show we work for and let them film their showreel and take them out for meals while we're quote unquote not grooming them and then go on to fuck them while we're also hiding our homosexuality from not just the general public but even our wives. But this is um, true. We don't. We don't. Allegedly, how many times are you supposed allegedly. to say allegedly? I don't know. You supposed allegedly. to say at the beginning or the end. Allegedly. So, is what you're trying to say is we can't call him no nonce Philip Schofield yet. We can't do. No, we can't. He has done known no groomer. No, no. We, it's not even a known groomer. He's a known this disgraced former TV show host. He's a known kindly man who tried to help someone out, and then when they were adult and completely unrelated, ended up banging them. Mm. Okay, when you put it that way, I've been won over and uh, hashtag bring back Scof, uh, get it trending. Sack Holly Willoughby, 
Bring back Scope. I, I just like that Eamon Holmes went off and just said that uh, Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby are both complete bastards who are rubbish at their jobs and everyone yeah. hates them. I was like, saying like, yeah, no one rates them. You think about all the big presenters, no one rates them. Terrible presenters. Terrible. Um, he, he said Holly Willoughby should be fired as well. He's like, yes, fire her. She doesn't know anyone's names. She's not a friend to anyone of the, any of the cast. She doesn't know anybody. I was like, wow. I wonder if Eamon had a few Guinnesses that morning. Maybe. Apparently Amanda Holden as well said she made a couple of choice little nods and comments about Philip Schofield too. So, hey. Everyone getting their knives in while his back is turned. Just wait for the Schofield comeback 2024. That's come spelled C-O-M-E back. That's not nothing noncy going on here. I also apologise to anyone not based in the UK for the last five minutes of conversation. (laughs) That's boring. Who the hell are you talking about? I wonder how many people have got their phones in their hand right now, Googling, trying to find out how to uh, spell Schofield for the sake of a quick Google. Um, let, let's let's bring it back to less groomy uh, subjects. Um, I watched this, Funny you make that noise. I watched the Super Mario Brothers movie, finally. Um, and, I mean, I don't have much to add to the conversation, given that I feel like everyone and their mums has already seen it. I think it crossed $1.3 billion at the box office, internationally speaking, this past week. Um... I actually had a, a great time with it. I was a little bit concerned with some of the slightly more critical, you know, reviews that I'd read prior to uh, to watching it myself. But I felt um, between sort of the gags, some of which did make me laugh, the references and Easter eggs, which were sort of thick and fast enough, but also kind of like ground level enough that I could pick them up as I, we, I was going along. Yeah, I, I kind of got sucked in, um, not sucked off, and uh, I kind of, I don't know, I found myself enjoying my time in the Mushroom Kingdom and beyond, and and liking those interpretations of those characters. As a lot of people already said, even Chris Pratt, for as much as some people were concerned about uh, his take on Mario, like, perfectly fine. What a, It was a perfectly adequate Mario movie, and I hope they use it as an opportunity to make more of them, or more films of that nature, but to maybe take things in more interesting uh, directions, or focus um less on the ensemble and more on individual characters just so things can breathe a little bit more but yeah good stuff yes no no i completely agree with you i'm um i'm looking forward to whatever they make next in that world i'm there for it yeah um and i'll also give a quick shout out to uh, diablo 4 uh which i have been playing uh, for the last couple of days, I, I plunged on the uh, digital deluxe version of the game, which means I could start playing early on, I think it was Friday, just gone. Um, I think I've played about 12 hours so far, which means that, um, and I've been, here's the thing, I've been doing a lot of side content. So um, I've taken a, my character, um, I'm playing a sorcerer at the moment, I've taken them further than I got in any of the betas. I think I'm around level 30. But in terms of story progress, I haven't actually got past where I, to the point I got in, in any of the betas, simply because I, I've just been kind of running around killing things, which um, it turns out that's what you do a lot of in Diablo. Um, and I know you, you've been on the fence, and sometimes even not on the fence, just on the, the, uh, the negative side of the Diablo argument in the past, especially when Diablo 3 was concerned. But I still have an absolute blast running around and even mindlessly killing mobs um and so that's what i've been doing oh have you no have you had help. a blast um have you have you uh, is it okay you brought it up earlier this mm-hmm. and this is my concern about diablo 4 um because of diablo 3 is it a cookie glitter glitter wow there you oh, go my word. freudian slip hello is it a cookie clicker there we go um 
that you've enjoyed clicking the button in the first few levels and now you've found the auto click button. And so you don't, you just now need to walk around and enjoy the environments because that's how I found Diablo 3. I don't think so. Like, I, I will concede that there are definitely, depending on sort of like what difficulty you play on and how you approach the content, there are definitely ways to play Diablo 3, for example, that where it can end up like a clicker. Yeah, where you're really not putting that much thought into um, your build or, you know, your, your, your abilities and you're managing your cooldowns and where you're going and what you're doing. You're just pushing forward and clicking on things. And because you know there's A, no risk of you dying and B, a very high chance of everything around you dying, then you're going to continue to make progress. Of course, some of that is present in Diablo 4. I think... I think there are things that, that they've changed or tweaked to make it a little bit more engaging. Like, I, I don't know if it's just me and the way I'm playing, but it feels like the risk of death is is more prominent in Diablo 4 than it was at times from in Diablo 3. Even the way you have to heal now, uh, healing is now a kind of a manual process where you can hold a certain amount of health flasks or health potions, but you have to manually use them. So there is this thing of, like, keeping an eye on your health bar, and if you accidentally wander into an area or a group of enemies that you know, trigger a, you know, let's say a certain concoction of abilities or attacks or effects on you, and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, I just really nearly died. You have to be aware of that kind of stuff. Okay. And like, I am I am taking care in, you know, in trying to make sense of my build. I'm not at the moment at the point where I'm trying to like achieve any real synergy between sort of like where I'm distributing my skill points and say like the armor I'm wearing just because, you know, I haven't reached any level caps or I haven't got to the point where it's made sense to sort of like, you know, grind out certain, certain drops or certain roles. Um, but like, I, I, I'm finding it to be an active experience. And of course, the, the other thing that makes it an active experience, I think even in a roundabout way, even if it's just a way of having a reason to engage your brain is like, there's a lot of content in that game. And like the main story is, um, it's not flawless, but it feels a lot more involved and there are like actual cutscenes, and it feels like there's more going on than there were in Diablo 3. Like I, I'm, there's, there's a lot more kind of like natural sort of like exploration and discovery and this idea of actually this is a gigantic um, map and I'm just going to walk around it and I'm going to find dungeons or I'm going to find quest givers and I'm going to get sidetracked by the side quest. And a lot of those side quests are extremely simple but they still might take you to interesting looking places and get you into uh, engaging fights. And I'm having a good time. Okay. It's, it's one thing, like Diablo 3, I found very pretty and I found the world engaging and I found like the loot system was fine and everything. So uh, what you say does make me want to give Diablo 4 a punt. If only there'd been multiple open betas that you could have tested out. I know, I should have done. I should have, of course I should have done. <laughs> I know. But it's because I was kind of put off. And then it was um, with obviously, uh, what was it? Diablo Infinite? Was it Infinite? Oh, Immortal. Immortal. Infinite. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't obviously go after that either. So, um, but hey, maybe maybe I will have to give it a, give it a bash and just make sure I get maybe. my difficulty settings right so that I feel like I've actually got a challenge rather than I a mean, cookie clicker. Uh, you know, I, I think if, I, I, I think there's a world in which you could die in Diablo Four, which is which is saying something, right? Um, anyway, um, yeah, Diablo Four. Although I understand it's going to be a tricky month for some people because Diablo Four has just come out. Street Fighter Six has just come out, I really um, and then really yeah, and Final Fantasy Sixteen's around the corner as well, which I know isn't nece maybe necessarily your or my cup of tea, but um, 
tough month for for people who are trying to keep up with the zeitgeist of games, especially because most people are probably still building shit in Tears of the Kingdom at this point. Um, <laughs> But sometimes, Jonesy, when it's all getting a little bit much and you're bored of those boring traditional gaming experiences, you're bored of traditional screens, you need something a little bit different. And some people try to fill that void by turning to the wonderful, exp expansive and exploding world of virtual reality. Um, and when it comes to the world of VR and AR... We have a few updates uh, from the last couple of weeks, some of which I'm going to give you a, a fair warning. I'm going to lean on you to kind of like fill in the folks at home because I think you are the Super Show's, even now that it's basically just the two of us, you are the, the Super Show's go-to virtual reality expert. Um, but MetaQuest, let's start with Meta uh, because uh, they had a gaming showcase uh, uh, in this past week. They announced the MetaQuest 3, which is supposedly going to be their most powerful headset, although I... Well, I guess you'd be surprised if it was anything less at this point. Um, just sort of like gut reactions. I don't know if you... Have, had you used a MetaQuest or Quest 2 up to this point? I haven't. Um, I really wanted to because uh, obviously the untethered uh, and the standalone nature of the MetaQuest 2, I wanted to give it a go. I haven't played... Because they've obviously got the MetaQuest Pro as well, which they I think do, is... Yeah. So I think when they've said that this is going to be their most powerful headset to date, I think some people were maybe surprised because they thought maybe the Pro would still be rated as the most powerful. Because yeah. the um, Pro's ridiculously expensive as well, isn't it? Yes. I know it's designed for like businesses and you know other use cases, but still. Yeah. Well, so no. So this is obviously this is different. This is in their this is in their mainline mainline line. So it was surprising that they've said this is going to be the most powerful. Um, I'm I'm leaning more and more on the side of. Uh, standalone untethered vr experiences are going to be the thing that save vr because especially when you're talking about the big price tags as soon as you can move away from uh pcs for example even even down even like playstation like the uh, mm -hmm. the playstation's vr2 system is not cheap and i think if you've got a um if you're sort of deciding between um, what games you're going to buy and you're going to ask to pay full price for a VR game and you've got the headset but you're also then going to be choosing between do I buy this PlayStation 5 game or do I buy a play PS5 uh, VR game I kind of think that puts it in a weird space but this mm -hmm. um, this showcase I think is quite a big step to say no this is a completely different offering this is something totally different this is like switch to consoles this is something that you can buy completely independent of any other system and you can have a really good time you can play some really cool games um they showed off for example uh, assassin's creed vr um which i think you know people um understandably excited about i think assassin's creed i've actually was it I've played a VR assassin's creed game at E3 when we were out there um, a number of years ago right. a little um, yeah uh, like a, a taster experience, like a uh, Assassin's Creed experience, um, and it was it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. Obviously, this is years past that, so this is going to be a fully fledged game rather than that little taster. Um, Stranger Things VR, uh, which looked like a lot of fun, um, and for people that love that series, I'm sure it'll be really cool to hop into. I haven't finished it, but so this is based on um, fighting as uh, the bad guy in Stranger Things and actually taking his viewpoint and going and trying messing with the humans and, and Eleven and all their little chums, um, which is kind of yeah. an interesting way to, to go. Um, one that I am most excited about, Attack on Titan VR. Um, I saw some of this, yeah. Yeah, we already heard about it. We knew it was coming, but this is, we actually got to see some of the gameplay because one of my pet peeves about VR is they still haven't cracked that how do you move around in a convincing way without having to like teleport. But obviously Attack on Titan, you've got the little um, uh, 
zip line things that shoot out of you and you're constantly just flying mm-hmm. through the air so you don't it totally works in vr like you don't need to walk around you're not just gonna be down on the ground walking slowly you're shooting through the air slashing at giants which is that sounds great that sounds exactly what i want to do in vr it sounds fantastic so um i'm excited for that uh and then they also showed off um I Expect You to Die 3, which is, um, you know, a game which is very well regarded or a series that's very well, well regarded. So a new, a new um, installment in that sounds wicked. And I like those close-knit VR experiences when, you can, when you're sort of like self-contained in that small environment. I think that's where they really shine. Um, but then, Jamie, one that I thought you and I would get down with, definitely Power Wash Simulator is coming, Hell to, yeah, is buddy. coming to VR. And I was like, I could see me and you quite happily hours standing in our living rooms oh, jet washing stuff and people be like what you what are you playing why are you just standing in them it's like i'm i'm power washing my van i'm power washing this um uh building i'm power washing anything you want it sounds like a yeah lot of fun. i'm frightened to think of how much time uh i would lose uh to a game like that if i had the ability to play it um but that does kind of bring me to kind of like it's the query I have with the Meta Quest 3, and it's the query I still have with VR in, in, in general, which is, I think, why it's, it's, one of why it's, like, it's one of the many problems that VR has got in terms of its ability to penetrate into sort of like everyday sort of gaming audiences and gaming households, which is that I look at the, the hardware elements on display here. So for the top-level stuff, for anyone wondering, uh, the Quest 3 is going to be uh, 40% thinner, it's going to have twice the graphical performance of the Quest 2. It's going to retail at launch this fall at 499 US dollars and great British pounds. And also they're uh, touting a full-color pass-through, uh, which will enable high-resolution full-color mixed reality gaming. So I guess this is now an MR and a VR-capable headset. That all sounds great. As someone who has uh, spent some time with a Quest 2 and was sufficiently impressed uh, I think largely because it's like you mentioned, it's a completely untethered experience, and there is something liberating about even the feeling of not having one cable, um, like trailing off the you know down the back of your neck and down your back, like feeling totally free, and that the only limit is the size of the space you're in is powerful. Um, and I'd imagine it will feel even more so with the kind of experiences that the Quest Three is capable of. But then we get to the problem: the kind of experiences the quest 3 is capable of and while i'm with you on power simulator i listen to and or look at all the other software we talked about and i'm like there's just nothing there that i need to buy a device for and it was the exact same situation with playstation vr 2 where horizon call of the mountain looked like a very looked like one of the more polished and and like one of the more desirable pieces of vr content that i've ever seen but i'm not going to buy a playstation vr 2 for it showcase rolled around some cool stuff obviously capcom are working on that resident evil 4 you know vr thing you know beat saber and um was it arizona sunshine is that series oh, yeah, called? Yeah. Step one of those. Too, yeah. but i'm like okay i'm still not buying that headset like no one seems to be able to pry half-life alex out of valve's hands to get that on any other headsets and it's like maybe there's a world if all these different you know strands of software and all the people that are making VR software exclusively for the headsets came together and there was one you know unified storefront that had everything or that like it just worked and this was the equivalent of Steam and the Epic Game Store and and BattleNet and so on and so forth. But for as long as that's not the case, 
And for as long as I'm committing to an ecosystem, and for as long as none of those ecosystems are fully convincing me that they've got a software lineup that warrants the price tags involved in uh, virtual reality experiences, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I think that's understandable. Like, and I, I completely agree with you. There isn't a standalone game which I think is going to make anybody say, "I need to, um, I need to own this." But for me, it is the weight of games um, in. Uh, like to all, when you put them all together and i think when you sort of say when you can get to the point where you say am i going to buy a playstation am i going to buy a switch am i going to buy it? and you're starting to decide where you want to put your money i think something like the quest 3 starts to become an interesting prospect when you look at the games that are coming out on those different systems and what's available and if, as long as xbox playstation and nintendo are not blowing you away with first party stuff and making you think hey you really need to buy this i think not not a primary system but i think vr starts to become a very interesting secondary option so i think a lot of people cool. these days have uh you know playstation or an xbox and then buy a switch as well because they they want something else to supplement or they have they play on pc and then i think you know they have a switch or they have a, an uh, xbox i i think we're getting to the point where um yeah the quest could be a viable secondary um especially i think when we get into so situations like i'm in um at the moment and this is just going to get worse as, as uh i get older is my kids already play the playstation and the switch um and they have an eye and they have an ipad as well and they can they sort of they don't just play one thing they constantly want to be switching and going between the two they've had a go on the vive because i've got um, i've got a vive um and they love vr they they think it is absolutely incredible they're only little but you know they they still really like it but i can absolutely think or i can imagine sorry a situation whereby i'm like do you know what i could get this system stick it on their head and then one of them could be in one room doing that, and one of them could be in somewhere else doing this, and that becomes a totally viable way to be like, "Hey, go game," without having to sort yeah. of worry about all the things that go with it. Because um, as we're going to talk about in a second, one of the things obviously you don't have to worry about with something like the Quest is you're not worried about uh, uh, music, uh, sound systems, you're not worried about TVs. It's a completely self-contained unit. So obviously, when you think of a PlayStation Five, you also need a kick-ass TV. Um, when you think of um, uh like a the switch like you can play it handheld but you also need like a yeah if you want to play it on docked you also need like a tv if you want to play um a plug-in headset vr headset you need a pc um you need something powerful to run it or if you want the vr2 you're going to have to plug it into the playstation 5 there's something about the standalone quality that i really like about the, the quest um that i think does make it more interesting i get it but at the same time, I think it kind of is a weird like blessing and a curse because while it does have a standalone quality, there is also the element of like you you said there like oh if you if you wanted to play this you'd need a TV. We, you know, we're talking about a world in which uh, the like in the uh, you know in the like here in the UK the overwhelming majority of households have a TV and the overwhelming majority of like households that have a TV have people in it accustomed to coming home from work or finishing work and having dinner and sitting in front of a TV like for as much as the quest 2 might seem convenient in that it's an all-in-one package it is still a disruption of the way people are used to uh, engaging with the kind of content they want to whether they're watching stuff whether they're playing stuff um it is still this thing of like oh i hope the i hope the the quest is charged um, I hope there's a game on it that I actively want to play, and I hope I have a six foot by six foot space with no furniture <laughs> in it. And it's like for most households, trying to tell me that that's more convenient than oh, 
the TV that Mum watches Coronation Street on is also the TV that I play FIFA on. I think the in terms of the you know the vast number of players, the everyday gamers, it's not going to convert anyone. It may end up being a second string experience, but then you could tell me the Switch is my second string experience, and I've played it. I've played one game on the Switch this year, right. I think. Yeah, I, I, so I do. Think... That, that's not that's not flattering. No, no, I I do think the um like so I do think it's the family aspect which makes me sort of look at it in a slightly different way these days is because I'm I'm used to like speaking to especially people with like young with uh, kids they have every like they have everything so I think when you're sort of the way that I used to game was I was the only gamer really like my wife did she used to game it's that she kind of like fell off it um you know when she got a bit older but now I can't play anything without like you say like the, every house has got a tv every house has a tv i'm now fighting two other blokes to like play on that tv oh, and it's yeah. like god you it's like you go play that you go do this i'll play like let me just play 20 minutes of like something i want to play and they're like no i want to do this that's why i wonder if part of it will be hold on we can buy this thing and you, the other thing with the quest is you can also um maybe you can sort of frame it slightly differently and that you can say oh it's actually also a good educational tool for kids and it's also does this so i can see there's maybe a world where they're aiming down that route of going it's this whole standalone entertainment system that doesn't need any other things to in in, in in using your household for an example for the price of a quest 3 you could go and buy two switch lights and have you know a, a a a device that you can put in your kids' hands that doesn't block them off from reality, so they are like aware of their surroundings and they're not completely, you know, zoned out in a virtual world. They have a broader range of software to choose from. Um, they have better software to choose from. They have better battery life to play on their devices. Like, but I've already got a switch. But I, but I'm saying, if it got to the point where you you sat down with the missus and you're like, we need to get enough screens in this house that I can watch TV with no one else complaining. Like <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the Quest 3 would would occupy someone's time for two hours. Um, but, you know, like no, what, there what, are... What I mean is when it comes to like this, you saying you could buy two Switch lights, that's true. But I want to play on the Quest as well. So I know that I can oh, buy okay, the... I can, I can ha- I've got a Switch. I don't really want to buy another Switch because I've already got one of those. I can justify buying a Quest because I'm like, oh, it'd be cool to have a Quest 3 and then say, oh, this is another this is another thing to occupy one of the kids. And then they'll, oh, okay. It's kind of becomes this weird excuse to spend money on things like that that you wouldn't if it was just you, but you can kind of say, oh, but this for this, for this as well. It's like, it's got a secondary feature. Yeah. And then you well, say to the kids, do you want to play some VR? And they go, yeah. And then they get all excited about it. I hear you. Maybe and and. No, no, no. I, I definitely think there's a, there's an argument to be made that um, something having you know more than a traditional feature set or having a number of different ways in which it can be used can be an argument for why it should be bought or, or could be worth uh, more money or have a have an inherent greater value, um, which is an interesting kind of segue because while a lot of the companies we talked about thus far, like Valve and PlayStation and and Meta, have um, focused their VR or MR or AR efforts on gaming. Even Meta, who are obviously committed to the Metaverse, as they said in their showcase, uh, continue to do so. One company, it seems to be going straight for just the sort of, well, they're not going to call it MR, but straight for the MR jugular, in which uh, gaming is, if anything, just a footnote on their efforts. And that, of course, is Apple, who finally, after 
I mean, what felt like years of rumors unveiled their augmented reality headset. It's called the Vision Pro, Jonesy, and it's going to set you back when it comes out in the early next year. Three thousand four hundred and ninety-nine U.S. dollars. I, um, yeah, that's okay. I watched. I saw the announcements for this like two hours ago, and yeah. it's only just come out. They've only just. It's the the people wearing it like such knobheads. Like it's like a weird rubbish scuba mask that is clear that you can still see there you can see people's faces um it has like a tint function and when it's when it's untinted when like someone walks in the room and you like look at them it untints and you can see their face and it's like and it's supposed to be like hey you're still in the world you're still in the still with your friends it's not separating you off as you were saying like quite rightly um you have this disconnect when someone's wearing like a traditional headset Um, yeah i want one so goddamn bad it's i mean it's, yeah uh, I, it's so it's, beautiful it's, it, jamie it, it's an interesting pitch right because you strike me as someone who for as much as you are kind of the vr guy i always feel like you you personally and correct me if i'm wrong have had this interest in in ar or mr or kind of whatever you want to call it in fact apple um from from what i gather uh don't really use either term they're referring to the vision pro as a spatial computer that allows you to stay present and connected with others by essentially creating a 3D interface around you um, and lets you experience various apps and, and media within your immediate environment. And when I look at that and when I watch the presentation that you just referenced, I'm like, actually, I think this is what Jonesy wanted all along. Like, Jonesy's version of the future wasn't necessarily being, like, in this closed-off environment where you're shooting zombies. It was like, no, I'm taking FaceTime calls and answering emails and watching a movie and playing a game on in this sort of, like, what looks to be an extremely high-quality sort of, like, 3D interface that is integrated into the environment around you, which, knowing the kind of degree of quality that apple usually put into their hardware especially at that price tag you've got to imagine uh, that it's going to be a pretty impressive experience you hope it's an impressive experience i mean you were joking with me before we started recording about um the hololens or or, or google glass like you have to hope we're a million miles away from there right am i so am i right in thinking this is kind of like this is jonesy's future manifest yeah yeah this this, this feels like the first device so you know you're absolutely right. We've talked about them on the on the podcast before. Um, so like Hololens, we we got to have a go at one at the Microsoft Store um, in London. Um, I don't know. I, was, I can't remember if I was with you. Were we? No, I think I think we were. We, we, were, yeah. we were. Yeah, we were together. And the field of view on the Hololens was so laughable that I I genuinely was like annoyed that I ever thought that that was going to be the um, the MR or the AR tech that was you know going to. Uh, going to be the future then we obviously magic leap seemed to be coming for ages and it right. was like going to be incredible um even way back when with the google google glass um the, uh, you know we were saying they were saying oh you, this is how you're going to use uh this is how you're going to interact with your smartphone in the future and it was just such a piece of crap that like no one i think like, they only ever did dev kits of it it was when they back in the days when everything used to come out as a dev kit and it was like yeah you can totally buy the dev kit everyone can it's, it's 2500 quid but you can buy the dev kit and that's how yeah. they got around you know selling effectively um something that was wasn't ready to be um, put on shelves yet but no if this looks half as good as it looks in the um the stuff that they've put out today it's the first bit of kit that is the I think is is the step into the future of 
how we will interact with technology on a day-to-day basis. Like we've even joked before, or, or, you know, we've said how the world will end up being like QR codes and big gray panels everywhere. And we'll just yeah. walk around with our AR contact lenses in and we'll see an insane world around us. And mm-hmm. this is the first, I've, I even said to you, yeah, I was, I was joking, but you'll come around to my house and I'll be like, what do you think, how do you like what I've done with the place? And you'll just see this empty, dank, brown, horrible room, but through my um, Vision Pro, it's going to look crazy and like bright and everything's going to look amazing. I'm going to have a 50 foot TV in the corner and all this sort of yep. crap. And I'm going to look at the oven and I'm going to see a red timer ticking up because you actually left the sausages in too long. And it's, it, it's trying to tell you that they're now overcooking. But it would it would tell me it would, it would tell me hey it would, there'll be a big timer that will be in the doorway of the kitchen counting down telling me sausages are going to get burned. Oh yeah, you you have an alarm in the corner of your in your uh, peripheral vision telling you the sausages are burning. But you're intentionally burning them because they're out of date is what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to cook all that badness out of them and make yep, sure exactly. uh, you know. Um, but it, it it looks stupid, but it was always going to look stupid because how do you how do you integrate that tech and how do you put it on your face? It was always going to look like a little moon man mask, and it was going to be weird. But they've 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 managed to do it in a way that it's not too stupid, and it's not the thing like the vibe. Wear a vibe; it's horrendous. It sticks off your face by this much. It's got these tiny little portholes. Um, you can see like the pixels and the the the, uh, the lens where you know the lenses they've got. And they can see the ridges and everything, and then mm-hmm. they come out with this, and it's like sixty four pixels um, in the space that an iPhone has one pixel, and they've gone like is it over four K? It's the equivalent of four K resolution in each eye. Um, yeah. And like you said, it's mixed reality. You you don't have controllers because it tracks your hand movements. Um, it's voice activated. The only thing that like in the in the little show thing that I saw that was I was kind of like I don't like that. Is they said it's voice activated, so you can tell. Like for example, you want to do a search, and you're going to have to say Safari, find me uh, cinema times. Because what happens when yeah. you're just sitting there next to the misses, and you say, "Oh, oh uh, God, uh, hey, hey, Safari, oh, search Safari for um, uh, Tig Old Biddies," and then you're ever asked, like, "What did you just say?" And you're like, "Oh no, it was, it was an accident." Um, yeah. That's always maybe there, maybe maybe there is a thing where like because there's eye tracking as well like maybe you can uh, type out on a, like a virtual keyboard using eye tracking and so you're just like moving your eyes from like one letter B I G space. The know. other, or if you have like a, if you use your phone or something to like search for something, maybe it's like connected. But then it, every time you pull out your phone and search something, everyone's gonna know they're looking at something they're not supposed yeah. to be looking at. And you've also now like brought me on to the question I was going to ask you because when we talked about like the Meta Quest Three, for example, I was critical of the software lineup and uh, like the long and short of it is, or what are people going to do when this thing is on their face? And you just brought up a fascinating example. If you were wearing a vision, an Apple Vision Pro, and pulled out your iPhone, what like you're you're you you're now wearing and holding two devices simultaneously in which your use case for them is going to be borderline identical yes um so for you i'm not suggesting either of us are on the market for this not least of all because it's three thousand five hundred dollars at launch but like let's say like someone get, gave you the opportunity to get one of these at a drastically reduced cost for one reason or another what would your use case be for this device because i watched that video and i'm like okay, like watching everything everywhere all at once on a plane in MR sounds cool, but like 
I'm not going to start taking meetings this way. I'm not going to search the internet this way. I'm not one of those people like in every Apple commercial that sits around using photos and videos of their kids to reminisce about, you know, times got. I don't watch holiday videos from three years ago. Like, that's just a fallacy that exists within Apple commercials. So what are, what are you going to do? Like, I'm going to put my Vision Pro on to check my calendar. Like, it's just, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, the, the, that's where it, that's where it falls down. Is you end up having, and, and we've just talked about it. You end up saying, or you end up justifying buying it because you, um, instead of buying a, a monitor. And yeah, as soon right. as you say that, you're like, well, what, it, you already own a TV. You already have a 4K monitor. Like, is do you really think you want to spend three thousand? You already have an iPhone. You already have an iPhone, which is you know a very high res screen that you carry around in your pocket. Unless you're gonna. The, the, so well, I would have maybe thought it was make more sense if, for example, you had it was like a mount that you wore on your face and you could pull it up and just and the way that's the way you wore it and so it almost replaces the iPhone. So as you were going around your daily life, you have this sort of mount on your face and it sort of sits up here. And then when you want to, when you get a phone call, you literally click the screen down, and then you you everything that you do with your phone, you then replace with this with the Vision Pro. That would make more sense right. to me. Also. Um, notwithstanding the fact that uh i've got a you know i've got the normal like latest iphone whatever that whatever it's called that's 1500 quid like a bit of kit so the fact that the vision pro is six is 3600 suddenly is not as ridiculous when you say yeah but now you don't need to buy an iphone now you, you get it on your phone plan and it comes with and you can do everything there but you know you nailed it like Am I really going to carry the Vision Pro around on my in my hand or in a box? And then whenever I want to use, would use my phone, which is a lot. Like I work in social media, so every time I want to go and check, you know, a, a social page or do whatever, am I really going to put the Vision Pro on and start like and, and yeah. check socials like that? Like it's just it's it's a strange. It's a product that I love and I really want to get, but at the same time I have zero use for and would probably use rarely but i want to wear it 100 percent of the time and never take it off like it's it's yeah. such a str i'm in such a strange place with it no it, it's fascinating and it? like it, it continues this um this push that uh, obviously meta have been on for a long time um and 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 apple appear to now be engaging in of like slowly trying to convince people that this is a like a more efficient means of engaging with the kind of uh the hardware they use to do their day-to-day -day tasks but you're absolutely right like a version of this that was much more focused on a seamless integration of mr in the way that like we imagined like google glass originally working like what was interesting to me is that like there's a shot where someone sits on the sofa puts on the vision pro and they're presented with almost like a dashboard of all these icons in front of them it's like well where do you want to go it's like well, no, that's not the experience I imagine. The experience I imagine is wearing something where actually, when I put it on, there's really nothing in front of, in front of me directly. I've got maybe notifications around the edges. I can see what time it is all, all times. I can see what the weather's like at all times. I can see how many emails or texts that I've got on red. If I, like I said, if I get a call, then maybe then that's when like it overrides and it becomes the way calls function in the Vision Pro. But like. There's never going to be a point where it's a, where I say to go back to my earlier example. Finished a long day at work. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down on my sofa, and because I'm a normal person, this is a sofa that's already eight feet away from a sixty-inch TV. Because this is the world we live in, and this is the world that Apple are trying to integrate themselves into. You're not going to sit down, leave your TV off, and put a Vision Pro on, and then say, "I'm just going to surf Safari for a bit." 
Like, if you're going to surf Safari, you're going to do it on your phone, on your laptop, with a TV you already use on in the background. Like, I don't know. Like The, the yeah. difference, the, the, I think if I had to really, if they, if Apple called me up and said, hey, what can we do to make this product more saleable, to make it more relevant? The thing I would have to go to would be, don't worry about the, de- like, you've made the device, well done. But now you need to grow and effectively almost layer a video game world over the real world. So you can tell people, you put the Vision Pro on and you're sitting in your living room and hey, there's, like you said, there's some notifications around there, but you know, not much else is going on. And then that's the very first step. And now you say, right, now leave your house. And you step outside and the world is transformed by the Vision Pro. And it's like seeing the world differently. Like, let's say, for example, there's a giant Papa John's logo just floating and spinning around in the air, like over an actual Papa John's restaurant in the distance. And you can tap on it and it will tell you this Papa John's is three miles away. Uh, It will deliver to you in this time. You can order. And then you look in the other direction and it says to you, oh, there's this bar, this bar, this bar, this clothing shop. Like, do you want to go and do what? But they would need to create all that infrastructure uh, digital infrastructure in the real world and have that attached to i don't even know like how they would know where they would have to have all the vision pros like linked together to know where everything was and da 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 it's it's a world yeah, that it's a bit dystopian yet. as well yeah but yeah but at the moment like we were saying it, it's it's what are you going to do sit down and go i'm going to put my safari app uh on my mantelpiece and i'm going to put my gmail app uh down on the floor there and then when I need to use Safari, I'm going to have to walk back into my lounge to tap on or to look at it so that I can use it. Otherwise, yeah. it's just floating in front of my face and it's just like a screen. I might as well pick my phone up. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's John Carmack who, I can't remember, if, I think he might have left Oculus or at this point or Meta. Um, but like whenever he does interviews or when he did interviews in the past and he was talk, and he talked about or was asked about where VR and AR experiences end up going, he always took it to the nth degree, which I'm sure a lot of us imagine. I think, you know, kind of we're talking around now, which is when you can wear a pair of glasses, like the pair of glasses you're wearing right now, and everything we're talked about, talking about is seamlessly and perfectly integrated into a device like that. And that I think that's when I can start to get on board with it. Um, and But for as long as it might take to get there, and as ambitious as that sounds, I struggle to see, yeah, where uh, uh, the, uh, these kind of devices fit into my lifestyle up until that point. And I also need to be curious to see like what that end result is. Because again, there are some benefits, like I said, to knowing the time all the time, to knowing the weather all the time, to getting live directions as you're walking around. But at the same time, to describe like being able to order Papa John's um, from like within a... De- like paying for a device that gets me easier access to like uh, other... like or gives other corporations easier access to me to look at it in a slightly more insidious fashion. Like... I'm not sure how down with that I am. And then you get into the weird shit we're talking about, like, like to what extent can your advertising experience be personalized? And, like, are, you, are there now, like, cookies and trackers associated with people's glasses where, like, oh, those are, like, if, if you, if, like, if your missus one day wakes up and puts on your glasses and goes outside, does she start getting your ads? And, like, <laughs> I don't know. It, like I said, it all feels a bit dystopian. So um, what, one thing I, I can absolutely see happening um with this kind of tech is is free i don't know obviously i don't know how it would it would work i don't know you'd have to tie like facial recognition into it or something but for example let's say that i had an account um with um apple and which you know loads of people do because the iphone you've already got your um your your, um cloud account 
let's say that I go, I went to meet you and I look at you and it's got facial recognition and it says, ah, that's Jamie and you've got it set up already that when I look at you, you look like um, Lucio from uh, Overwatch and uh, you have a skin in the real world. So oh, I see you as Ready Player One. Yeah. Uh, no, well, Ready Player One's because Ready Player One's VR, right? So they're actually in a VR world. But imagine right. that I looked at you. So I, I, I tell you another, so there was, a, there was a, a filter on TikTok recently, which everyone was kind of going a bit crazy for, which was the, um, I think it was called like the Glamour. Uh, like something glamour and it would it oh, took someone's face and it just it basically airbrushed you in real time to make you look like a hollywood celebrity and everyone looked amazing and then you look at yourself or there was another app that makes you look like you but as a teenager and people were like doing videos where they had themselves now and what they look like with this filter on and just saying like how depressing this app is because it makes you realize that you don't look the same as you did when you were 16 and because people don't think they look that much older and then you see it and you're like oh my god this looks amazing but yeah, how like I could imagine it taking off because of social media, maybe. But again, like the the infrastructure to make that work and to have all the facial recognition stuff. And you make the point, like, do you really want that access? Do you really want Apple to be able to get all of that data and do this in real time? Like, I I don't know. Like, it doesn't. It kind of sounds a little bit scary, a bit dystopian, like you said. Um, but it, at the same time, like I still I can't help but think, hey, if I can sit in my living room and feel like I'm sitting in the IMAX watching um, a dreamy movie where you uh, go sleepy time. And I want to see that again, but in a big big cinema screen. And I say, hey, I want to watch... Um, uh, I don't know, what's one I, what I saw at the movies, which was actually amazing? Um, oh, what is the one with um, Matthew McConaughey where he goes to... Goes Interstellar. Interstellar. I saw Interstellar at the IMAX, blew me away, thought it was fantastic. If you could tell me that every film you watch can look like that and have that experience sitting in your living room, you don't need to worry about a TV. Because I've tried it with VR, with VR, I've tried it with the vibe, and it is pretty cool. Um, I've watched some YouTube videos and stuff and that sort of thing, but it's, it's not quite <laughs> okay. there. It's not quite there. It's like YouTube videos, yeah. No, you're not going to watch. Jesus, you're not going to watch porn on a fucking IMAX. That'd be weird, wouldn't it? Like you do. I, I, I would absolutely watch porn on would IMAX. You? Oh, okay, fair yeah. But like, if if this can give you that experience, then I think some people will get it just for that. But I think the promise of this, like I said at the beginning of this whole conversation, is where it's going, and this feels like it could be the first step on the actual road that Hololens yeah. and, and Google Glass kind of lied to us about. And hey, like they were a step, I suppose. They were a step. Yeah, everything's a step in its own way. Even if it's a step in the wrong direction, it stops another person following in their tracks. And it's also interesting that, you know, while, as we mentioned, Microsoft and Google maybe haven't uh, re-entered that market or looked for a way back into it, again, to have um, companies like Meta and Apple in their stead continuing to uh, push in that space you know, it does suggest that some of the biggest players in the technology space are curious about that this technology. And when that happens, usually, you know, up until the point where the market completely disappears, uh, things are going to keep getting better. So um, uh, I guess one to watch, um, especially when it comes to perhaps um, slightly more uh, <laughs> reasonably priced um, additions to Apple's future MR and AR uh, offerings. Um Speaking of reasonably reasonably priced goods, uh, Jonesy, and just a quick one to b- before we wrap things up on this uh, on this very podcast, um, you know, I think it's only fair that um, 
that everything really out there in the technical world uh, be reasonably priced. Because at the end of the day, you've got to treat consumers fairly. You've got to treat consumers like the smart individuals they are. And I don't think there's any smarter set of consumers than gamers. Um, and uh, they put it this way. They know their worth. They know their value. And they know that when they're talking about a piece of software like Daedalic Entertainment's The Lord of the Rings Gollum, they're talking about a $60 piece of software through and through, especially, of course, if you want the deluxe edition with the Elven language pack and uh, those must-have emotes. Um, I'm joking, of course. Uh, the Lord of the Rings Gollum, for those of you that have missed it, um, or in true Smeagol star have been like living under a rock. I, is that a Lord <laughs> of the Rings pun? Did he live under a rock at any point? I don't, I don't know. know. Um, it ended up becoming uh, one of the most widely discussed and derided uh, games of the entire year, namely because of how bad it is. Uh, it currently sits on a Metacritic score of 35. It's almost certainly a shoo-in at this point to be the worst game of the year and somehow makes uh, other, other high-profile flops um, or at least remind us that other high-profile flops like Forspoken or Redfall were actually just average games that we took to be bad because nothing else was happening. And this is what happens when a bad game is actually bad. Um, have, have, have you watched any of this thing, Jonesy? Have you seen I, any of this thing? I have. I've watched, I've watched some, um, unfortunately. Um, okay. It's a, it's a weird one because in some respects, I'm like, if you're going to do like a double A game, um, which I think is what I heard it uh, described as, and you're going to base it around... Um, um, some actual, you know, like a, 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 something like Lord of the Rings. Then you're tr are you just trying to make something which is going to appeal to a small audience of people, and you're kind of almost doing them some service, and you never expected it to sell mega bucks or whatever. I kind of think that's fine. Like that sort of that sort of tie-in, I think is fine if you're trying to do something which isn't a triple A title. It's not the be all and end all. It doesn't have to be Hogwarts Legacy. It can be this small self-contained thing. What seems to have but gone wrong with Gollum? is that mm. they've done that, but then they've also just completely screwed the pooch when it comes to uh, quality, uh, gameplay mechanics, how fun it is, um, finishing animations, how like buggy it seems to be. Like It's, yeah. it's like they've uh, failed in every aspect. Not to mention price, which again, to like here in the UK, if you want like the, the version that has those stupid emotes and they are really bad emotes, this is a $55 product and that has to be factored in, right? I don't think it does. 55, excuse me, fifty-five pounds. I, you don't I, think that's a factor? No, I don't think that does have to factor in. Like, it, purely for this reason, okay, is if you are going, like I said, if you're going to make a small little double A game and it's going to be for sort of a subset of the audience, it's not going to be like appearing to everybody. You know that you need to make a certain amount of money in order to make the game worthwhile because you're going to only sell, I don't know, like five hundred thousand units. And so you say, okay, I've got to sell it for fifty-five quid. Everything these days costs a stupid amount of money, and for a game to sell a game like something like this where they've probably paid for the licensing as well is, is going to cost them a lot of money to make no matter how good it turns out at the end. So I'm not bothered about the price. If this was a good, fun, um, self-contained little golem adventure, almost like an indie, if it was an indie title, which had some fun mechanics that made people say, hey, do you know what? Whilst it seems crazy that this is £55 and uh, a massive AAA title can be you know, not much more, I still think that makes sense if you know you're not going to sell anywhere near as many units. But the fact that the game appears to be so bad is the real problem for me. It's not, it's not the price tag. Because the price tag was probably decided before the game was even made. Like they don't make mm. a game, look how good it is, and then give it a price tag. They know 
okay, we're probably going to sell as many units. This is how much we're going to sell it for. Blah, blah, blah. That, I imagine that's how they do the process. So I kind sure. of think price tags are relevant in that sense. What I don't think is relevant is the fact that they've shipped a piece of crap and probably just hoped people would buy it based on the name recognition alone. And so, yeah, so if, if it was a game that was that was trying to be good and trying to do something for the fans and trying to be something that, you know, people who like this, like the, yeah. like Tolkien wanted to make something and had to put it at this price tag, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been bothered about it. That, that's where it becomes, I think, less redeemable because like, as you mentioned, this, this is another uh, game in our long line of games, as, as we talked about earlier with, with Naughty Dog's statement to have a, to have apologized for its, uh, for the nature of its release. But what I think is kind of uh, glaring about it is when I think when you think of other sort of like famous apologies from the last couple of years, you everyone can remember the, you know, the series of yellow cyberpunk apologies, like uh, delay after delay and then patch after patch. Like there was, a, there were most of the time you're talking about like uh, promising for poor performance, uh, maybe at launch or, or, or again, being game being in a, a, shy, a slightly shaky state. You know, think back to uh, Star Wars Jedi survivor a couple of months ago or, but like redeemable pieces of software that were released prematurely and needed time to get to where they should have been before they were on sale. I'm not suggesting that's acceptable, but I do think that something about Lord of the Rings Gollum strikes me as being slightly different in that like this isn't a case of a, a piece of software that was like underbaked. You know, the, like to go back to what we were talking about at the top of the podcast, the, the, the bun needed to go back in the oven for a little bit longer. Um, this was a fundamentally bad game. Like this was a, this, this is a, this is it's bad like, through it, and through, isn't it? It's, it's an, like it's an insulting product, and I think yeah. that's I think that's when that combines with that price tag to make a situation that's far less redeemable. Like it goes to the point where I'm like, I don't care. Like that's like me saying, oh, I need to charge I need to charge twenty pounds for this human feces because that's how I make profit. It's like no, you're selling human feces. I, th I think we are the price thing always gets me is because we're in such a weird world these days where I think price game production pro and price and all of that stuff is so uh, disconnected like I've said it before like the, if you take games back in you know the, like the end of the 80s beginning of the 90s and you look at how much production time the overheads um, and how much those games cost if you if you just run the numbers and you make like the game cost how much they should now you'd be talking about games costing like 150 quid a pop um, cool. for like a for like a triple a you know main title game um but and so games were artificially had their prices held down for a long time because they knew people just couldn't afford wouldn't afford to buy them so they were like no we'll just do numbers we'll, we'll sell shitloads more numbers and then we'll be able to and that's how we'll make our money or we'll make you know games as a service or um uh, gta online like we'll make a billion dollars because we'll, people just cool. keep buying these bucks so I, I that's why i'm saying i i separate the game from the pricing structure if you if you know you're not going to sell if you're a small company like this like we're talking about um how i can't even say their name what's it daedalic daedalic entertainment yeah. like so i think the grant um they've been given well we haven't even mentioned it yet but yeah that's thing. i'll get to that in a second so they've been given some money um a very small amount of money to make a video game um and but they're making they're making a game with this amount of money so they're a small company they're making it's a small product a small project sorry um, and so then if, if they came out and said, hey, we're doing all of that and the game's going to cost £55, I, that's what I'm saying. I don't have a problem with that whole, that thing, like separate that from the game. My problem comes in is when you ship the game and it's a piece of crap 
and then you say, well, hold on, it's bad. The level design is bad. The graphics are bad. The emotes are terrible. The way the movement is rubbish. It's badly thought out. Um, there's a no entertainment factor. You you're like phoning it in in every aspect, and then I think you that that stuff's all separate. Like that is then to say. This game should no one should buy it. You should give people refunds if they spend the money. I, I, I get, I get it, but I still think that there's like a connection there to produce that That's piece fair. of software and still have the audacity to believe that you can justify a price on the basis of how much it costs to how much you need to recoup your costs. You don't deserve to recoup your costs if you've made the yeah. bad piece of software. But you're absolutely right, and and what happens in the end then is is games go on sale and they end up going down to like oh, this will go down to like five quid, and then some people will it say. Was. I think you said it before with Anthem. You were like you bought Anthem. When it was like a five. Oh yeah, so. I bought Anthem for I think it was seven pounds. Yes, because it got to a price point where you were like, Do you know, I was not willing to spend that much, and but I know that I was never going to buy Gollum anyway. But there are people out there that I now feel really sorry for who were probably really looking forward to this, and yeah. were, were and now have been uh, probably probably pre-ordered it, thinking they can't make a bad Gollum game. Well. Uh, if anything, then to 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 follow up on that point, we might need to turn this into a bit of a PSA because, as Josie hits that earlier, uh, Daedalic uh, might not be, um, uh, you know, it, it might it, they might not end up being a um, a one hit wonder when it comes to disastrous video games. They might not even end up being a one hit wonder when it comes to disastrous Lord of the Rings games because supposedly, again, according to some documentation that's been discovered online, they are or they have received funding for um, a second Lord of the Rings title. Again, not necessarily tied to Gollum or a sequel to the Gollum game, um, but a German website called Wirtschaft um, has noted that Daedalic have been awarded a 2 million euro grant, that's around 1.7 million pounds, um, by the German Ministry of Economic Affairs to work on what appears to be a second game in J.R.R. Tolkien's beloved fantasy universe. Uh, Again, we don't know much about it, but it's currently listed under the code name It's Magic, which I presume is like a kind of a very unique form of German sarcasm um, based on uh, the products and the software that have come before it. Um, and it's described via Google Translate as a game that will transport players to, quote, a lush world full of mythical creatures and magic and tell a story from a character's perspective that's never been told before, which does sound like maybe that's if that if this was Lord of the Rings Gollum, the next one's going to be like lord of the rings samwise or something like that like you know the name you've written you know the story but you've never seen it from his perspective it's, it's this is a weird thing because if they've been awarded the money and they've been given and you know they've given the go-ahead and they're gonna do it i uh, that's fine like you know i'm not even that i'm not even mad about that just learn from your mistakes learn from the process because i'm i hope that what happened was, in, and this is obviously what happens in game development, is you run out of money and you kind of make best of what you've got available to you. And at yeah. some point, someone says, there is no more money, there is no more time. Uh, pol- like, finish it off, what you're doing, and ship it. You know, And yeah. if that's the case, hopefully, they've learned from this experience of making a, a tie-in game to like Lord of the Rings, and they know for next time, well, we've got the money, this is the time we've got, let's not do that again. And let's actually pull our name out of the mud. So in some, in some ways, maybe this could be the comeback story for the ages, Jamie. I hope it does. Because Lord knows, again, the amount of scrutiny the scrutiny they will be under and this product will be under is unimaginable. Because, and, and don't get me wrong, we're not helping the cause with uh, segments like this in the podcast. But people are already framing 
this piece of software that apparently I think started development like it like very extremely recently and we only know about it because of a two million euro grant which is a very small amount of money when it comes to uh AAA game development but people are already referring to this as a sequel of sorts to Lord of the Rings Gollum there is this lineage now where this game has been so poorly received and has become such a, like an overnight sensation for all the wrong reasons that Daedalic are on the map in a way that they've never have been before. This upcoming piece of software, especially if it does end up being another Lord of the Rings game, is on the map like they never have been before. And part of me kind of feels sorry for them in that respect because I totally agree with everything you just said about... like I could totally envision a scenario like the one you laid out about how this product ended up hitting the market in the way it did. And I bet there are people there who are like... Geez, we've spent the last like, like because Daedalic have been around for a little while. Uh, they don't make very high profile things though. That's the thing, and there are probably people there who sat around like, God, like we've been making average games for a long time and just about making enough money to kind of get by, and like we fucked up once on on yes, admittedly on our biggest opportunity thus far and the biggest IP that we've worked with thus far. But we had one fuck up, one mismanagement on the most ambitious thing we've ever done, and that's our reputation now. You know you know nailed in the coffin um and that that yeah. kind of sucks that no that's totally i mean imagine if arcane were the same and, and you hadn't really heard of arcane and then your only yeah. exposure to them was to play redfall and then you were like this this company can't make games you you'd be completely wrong because you would be ignoring their back catalog so yeah totally. it could well be the case that maybe they were outside of their um their comfort zone a little bit i wonder if part of um uh i hope it didn't but i i was gonna say i wonder if um, the, the things like um, pre-orders and things were affected by how well Porky Games did with um, Hogwarts. Uh, Hogwarts. Because yeah, you know, we all kind of had the same thing, where it's like, this is a mobile gaming company. What are they going to do when it comes to making a big AAA game? And they blew our socks off with like what they managed to do. Um, you know, By no means a perfect game, but a hell of a lot better than I think I thought it was going to be. Um, yep. So, yeah, I, I, I would like to think that if they've been around for a while, that Daedalic do have the the ability to put out half decent stuff based on what they've done in the past. I don't know. I should have. I, I will check after the podcast and I'll have a look and see. I mean, I hadn't. I I, I did look through and I I had sort of like sort of heard of some of the things they've done. And weirdly enough, they've even, they've even published a few indie games that I'd heard of. But um, uh, yeah, a bit of a difficult company to kind of put your finger on. I do think it is funny though that we started the segment off by. Uh, talking about how poorly received Lord of the Rings Gollum uh, you know, has been and, and it's 35 score on Metacritic. And yet we've kind of come around to now being champion. Now we're champion daily. Like, <laughs> kind of hoping, hoping the next game uh, isn't as big of a car, uh, of a car crash. It's not, it's not for them, right? We say this time and time again, it's for the players. Like we, it's, it sucks when we never, um, oh, Phil we, Spencer's showing up. <laughs> we never take any pleasure when uh, like, when like I, I'm ex- I don't have an Xbox I I do I have got Xbox Game Pass on my PC but I never take any joy when like um uh there's a a, a bad first party Xbox game I, that just makes me feel bad for the for the uh, Xbox yeah. players and similar for this uh, anyone who wanted to play who I remember thinking about that this game could actually be really cool when it was first announced because it was like hold on a, a game where you get to play as Gollum like a third person action game that actually sounds like it might be really interesting. And then to come out of a game where you're like running chores for the first God knows how long and you're doing really boring stuff where you're apparently, I was watching Skill Up's re- review and he was sort of saying like um, in some of the um, um, early, early stuff in the game, you get up, 
you run around finding like dead people, grab some tags off them and go back to your room and fall asleep. And then you wake up the next day and then you've got a chore where you run and go through tunnels and you blow up these barrels and then you go back to sleep like yeah. into your room again. I'm like, what game are they making? Like, this sounds really bizarre. It sounds like a weird, we don't know how to make a game like this. So therefore we're going to include game elements. So we just, we'll put game elements in and then hopefully it'll all come together in the end. And it's yeah. just turned into a mess. Even the font treatment, like, there are some screenshots I've seen of, like, I think points where sort of, like, there's an inner battle between Gollum and Smeagol, and you're kind of having to determine which side uh, wins. And you're looking at someone, like, you're like, just change that font. I don't know how many how big that team is or how many people actively work on that project. And, hey, I don't even know how easy it is to change that font. Because, again, I must stress, I'm not a game developer. But someone on that team must have looked at that and gone, like, yeah, we should probably change that font. Um <laughs> Like, like, just change, just change the font. Like, to put I'm, some, like, I'm I really guilty. Is my hobby, kind of like <laughs> shit. Like, so I'm, I'm really guilty of this. Um, uh, you know, I am of looking at games and saying it's a lot easier to make a game than it really is. And I think this, what, what Lord of the Rings Gollum does is it shines a light on how difficult and how time-consuming and how much money it takes to make a good game. That we, you know, you yeah. play it and you go, oh, I didn't like this as- this aspect of it. When in reality, like, these are very finely crafted pieces of art. And it really shows when it, yeah. when it doesn't come together. Um, Redfall was bad for, like, a lot of reasons. Um, there have been a couple of other games this year that have, have kind of not hit. But this does seem to be possibly the worst. <laughs> it does, regrettably. Um it doesn't bring us any pleasure to to bestow that honor upon you if anyone from Daedalic is uh, watching and or listening. Um, but hey, we're going to watch this space and wish you luck on the It's Magic uh, project. Uh, we're going to uh, watch with bated breath and hopefully that €2 million Euro grant from the German Ministry of Economic Affairs, which is a, a very fun sentence to say out loud, um, carries you... Uh, the distance that you weren't able to travel in the case of Lord of the Rings Gollum. I know um, what speaking... they need to do as well. So I, I've just realised what what Daedalic yeah. needs to do. When they're finished with the, with its magic, they need to ask Bungie to have a look at it and make sure it's okay. Oh, of course. And then then we're gonna get the uh, the tweet with like a screenshot or like a, like a little apology saying uh, Daedalic are actually kind of uh, you know we're revising and scaling back the upcoming its magic project. <laughs> The team has been slimmed down and, and most of our team has moved on to other projects, which I can only presume will be uh, Lord of the Rings Gollum Part 2, where, um, I don't know, there's a weird scene halfway through where you switch over and start playing as Gandalf and see everything from his perspective. I'm trying to come up with some weird Last of Us analogy. It's not working. Um, <laughs> because it's late and this podcast has been long, uh, thank you, Jonesy, for for joining me on, on this um a uh, voyage to Mount Doom and back. It feels like we've been on. Um, uh, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Jamie, for hosting. You're doing such a wonderful job. I was on a bit of a, uh, uh, yeah, I was on a bit of a, a round the houses one tonight. So I apologize a little bit off my game no, no, no. After, hey. after my holiday. But um, hopefully we'll uh, be back on form soon. We we went for it. We'd had a couple of weeks worth of uh, a video game a passion video game fire in our bellies that we were unable to unleash on the unsuspecting public but we have now been able to do so which means i have to thank you uh wherever you are 
whenever you are for watching and or listening whether you're with us live on youtube this evening or whether you're or watching and or listening after the fact maybe on a podcasting platform maybe you are on youtube in which case hello you can see us isn't it great we're smiling um and i will say uh, slightly apprehensively that uh, with any luck you know the regularly scheduled super show programming should be uh, uh, back in full full effect now um so continue to expect podcasting goodness at least once a week and of course as we always do we're going to continue to try and find opportunities to deliver other little bits of content here and there uh stay tuned for maybe some more live streams in the future of new releases um and hey we managed to stream that playstation showcase last week so maybe there'll be an opportunity in the next week or two with you know sir jeff Keeley summer game fest or the xbox and staff and bethesda and starfield showcase or even the ubisoft forward um we're, you know, we might look out for a few opportunities here or there. Um, so all the more reasons to say stay subscribed to the YouTube channel, keep your ears to the ground for any upcoming live streams, and hopefully we'll see you there. Um, and with that, Jonesy, unless there's anything else you'd like to add? Nope. Um, in that case, I say thanks again for watching and or listening. Um, I bid you adieu, and we'll see you on the next one. See you, everyone. <laughs>